I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith, that podcast that's finally coming to an end, because this week we're talking about, well, we're talking Fantasy Blake 7, and we're doing a retrospective of the of the show and of our podcast and, and of that. In reverse order of what you just yeah, said. Yeah, the reverse order of what I just said. <laughs> I said Fantasy Blake 7 first because I feel like that's what everybody's here for. Yeah, it is. But it's what I'm here for. <laughs> it's what I'm here for. I've been waiting all week to reveal my Your Terry 3, Nation <laughs> in ge- induced genius. <laughs> Your 3,000 word Terry Nation-esque epic. Yes. <laughs> this quite possibly may be the We're- greatest thing I have ever done. <laughs> We're coining a new phrase, nation-esque. It's when you write a full season of TV episodes. But we're going to get there. We're going to get there. With increasing difficulty. <laughs> we're going to get there. And still turns out to be the best season of the show. Uh, well, Spoiler for my top season ranking list. But Well, so I think we should start here by... By retrospecting. By Yeah, let's look back on... Blake Seven and and the podcast, and I just want to start by talking about this podcast by saying I put a lot more effort into this podcast than I did Trust Your Doctor. Yeah, I mean, as did I. I mean, I know I was only doing like the social media and the the episode notes, but the amount of feedback we got, I think, definitely propelled us to yeah. care about this podcast more than and, Trust Your Doctor. You know, that's that's. I mean, it's interesting. You know, we got a lot more feedback just right off the bat on this show and partially i think that's because we kind of started this show with a fan base when we started trust your doctor right I mean, we were we literal nobodies starting a, a podcast in a saturated market and we also like knew how to start a podcast right. like well you know one that doesn't necessarily turn people off on the first episode one that has its social media accounts set up right right from the get right from the start where we have a website going and we have the feed going and everything's going right from the start and we know sort of how to market it. <laughs> but it's also that Blake 7 is a more niche topic. There are only like maybe six Blake 7 podcasts. I know we tried to name them right. all and we might as well name them we all might as well name here them here in case people want, like a, yeah, people want another to. fix of Blake 7 after uh, Zenith wraps up at right. the end of this episode. So there's there's Shaken Blake. That one has completed. Um, yeah, that, that was completed. the original one from like that 2008 the, yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then um, there's, uh, there's... Space down, Well, there's Down and Safe. Right. Are we going in order here? Well, no. I just yeah. Down and Safe was the next one I thought of. Down and Safe isn't finished. They're and, probably the biggest Blake 7 podcast, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think just because of the, the, the people who hosted it were... Right pretty big in i guess in the podcasting world whatever they're that also means. writing i mean a few yeah. of them are writers they're pretty prominent writers they're they haven't put out an episode since like a series b i think uh, yeah, but they're, they're we, not a couple, they're not canceled they're officially technically on hiatus <laughs> i believe yeah a couple of weeks ago we said their last episode was in 2016 december 2016 but it was mm-hmm. actually december 2017 so right, right before we started yeah they put out their series b retrospective type thing mm-hmm. like series b finale uh, and then, like Keon said, the space fall, uh, which started pretty much the same time we did yeah, I a think month a, or two about after, a month after us. Um, and they're sort of their their format is similar to ours, but they're come at it with a much greater, I think, knowledge of the show. They're not first first right. time watchers. David Kitchen's one of the hosts, right. on that show from I believe. Well, he's from the Doctor Who show, I think. Yes, and, and the, he's also he on Forty Two Doomsday podcast. and the Goodies Pirate Podcast. Yeah. 
Uh, but they're bi-weekly. Yeah. So every two weeks. So they're still, at this point, they probably just finished. I think they're in Series C, I believe, now. I was listening to 42 to Doomsday, and, and David Kitchen mentioned uh, being pretty close to the end of Series B when they recorded that episode. Yeah. So I believe they're in Series C now. There's the classically awful podcast. Right. Another one which, that started sort of around the same time. Yeah. I'm I think not... they were bi- bi-weekly as well originally. I think they went on a little bit of a hiatus in the middle of the year. I'm I'm not entirely sure where they are in the show now. Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure either. There's Blake Seven in character, which doesn't, which is vastly different in format from all the other shows we listed. Right, that's my personal favorite of all mm-hmm. the ones we listed. And they sort of they detail, they they do like character episodes. So they'll have mm-hmm. one episode about one character on the show, and it's really interesting. And they talk a lot about costumes and production stuff. Right, and they're really good. And I think that's all. If you still want more Blake Seven Fix, there's also a blog from the guy who did uh, Wife in Space, I think. It's called uh, Wife and Blake, I think. Right. They're Where, already done. Yeah, they're they done. They finished years ago, I think. Uh, but it's a guy and his wife's never watched Blake Seven before, and he's watching Blake Seven through with his wife. There's also the Watching Blake Seven <clears throat> blog. Right. Which is similar to that, except it's just one guy watching Blake Seven. Yeah. With a really cool website. Yeah, <laughs> he actually, he linked to one of our episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the Making Blake 7 Twitter account. Right. If you want more behind-the-scenes information. And weirdly enough, he's kind of, he's <laughs> sort of his own fantasy Blake 7 type thing where he's using production pictures to recreate or create a, a sort of a a pseudo-TV episode based around that Terry Edwards' book, Afterlife. Oh. Huh. He did Pip and Jane. Yeah, he did Pip and Jane. A, a guy, I think his name is Terry Atwood, or something Atwood, wrote a book set post-Series D, post-Blake, called Afterlife. Uh, and I read the plot synopsis of the book, and it sounds bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> but Making Blake Sevens currently, as of recording, doing sort of like telesnap version of that book. So, Yeah, I haven't been on Twitter in like extensively in like weeks, so... Yeah, that book sounds bonkers. Avon's sister shows up like near the end of the book. Villa and Avon are the only two crew members to survive. Yeah. And that's about all the the fan stuff about Blake 7 I can think of off the top of my head right now. We'll put links to all of this in the show notes. I mean, there's the Blake 7 online forum, which is pretty active. (laughs) Surprisingly. And they do rewatches every once in a while. I know they did a 40th anniversary rewatch. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll put links to all of this in the show notes. Yep. Anyway, yeah, as, as I was saying, I, I definitely put more effort into this show, and I had a lot of fun doing this show, surprisingly. Yeah. We had a lot of interesting conversations on this show, specifically remembering back to what is science fiction, which is like a running five-week segment on the show. <laughs> well, that's something I want to touch on is like now more than ever, I mean, I'm really glad I watched Blake 7 because now more than ever I see science fiction not as not as a genre but as sort of a, a lens, a critical approach to mm-hmm. a thing. <laughs> uh, or uh, I won't use the word thing. A, a TV show, a, a book, you know, whatever it is. I'm still going to fall back and, and call it like, you know, a show like a, a science, science fiction, fiction show. show because like it's so much communicatively, it's like so much easier. Right. And, but yeah, I don't know. And it leaves less room for like misinterpretation, I think. Yeah. Also, like, 99% or more of people don't really care, like, about the question, what is science fiction? So, you know, there you go. 
<laughs> That's a high percentage. And I think Blake Seven also is like a really unique show. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really I'm, glad I watched them. Me like too. I don't say that about like I finish most T V shows, shows. And I'm I'm just like I don't regret watching them, but I'm just like, all right, you know, whatever. Move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm really glad I actually watched Blake Seven. Yeah, no, I agree, me too. You know, I, I feel well, more knowledgeable about British science fiction in the late seventies and early eighties now, but I just feel like it was a like a worthwhile investment in my time. I was entertained pretty much straight through, say for like a couple episodes. I'm looking at you, <laughs> Animal. We're gonna get to you in a second. <laughs> but like, it's rare to find a television show that one has aged so well. Yeah. You know, there wasn't ever a moment where I was like, man, those special effects just really haven't aged no, well. I mean, okay, I mean, there, there were, were, there there were a couple moments, moments but they never really took me that. out of the show. No. They never really took me out of it. And and there were still moments where I'm like really impressed by the special effects as well. I'm like, wow, that looks really good. And yeah. the writing holds up really well. Like, I just think it's, a, it's just a really well-made show that stands yeah. the test of time. Yeah. And it's really rare to find a show like that. I think it's in my top 10 for sure television shows of all time. It's it's I'd, in my top three of like of live action because uh, I mean again I pretty much only watch cartoons nowadays but if, of of like live action TV shows that I've watched it's in my top three easily. I think it's in my top five. Uh, I don't think it goes so far as to get into my top three, but I do think it's in my top five. So. And yeah, and I'm really glad we did a podcast on it too. You know, if I just watched this on my own, I don't think I would have gotten as much out of it as I did on the show. No, oh, definitely. Especially, I mean, I still would have. You know, I would have really still liked yeah. it if I had watched. It yeah, own. absolutely. But having all these fans reach out to us and you know doing all this quote research unquote for the podcast, <laughs> I think led to a deeper enjoyment of the show. Yeah, overall. And for that, my thank you. Yeah, all. thanks, everyone who recorded with us. Everyone who right, we got out. a lot of really interesting people on the show too, which right. I really enjoyed. You know, Sergeant Drano, RG, Maurice, Jim, and John. John all being on the show. And they were all really, really fascinating guests and, and brought a lot to the table. Right. So. So that's Blake 7. Yeah, so that's Blake 7. And Zenith, sort of. And, and, and Zenith, in a nutshell. Next podcast, we'll, like, do more research into, like, what the show's about so we have a better name. I still I like Zenith though. I, I like, like Zenith. Yeah, I do. I think Zenith actually encapsulates the show pretty well. And it, like, <laughs> Why? Because we're the highest point of Blake Seven <laughs> podcasts. No. Well, because no. I think it fits in with like you know Blake Seven. All of a sudden goes for like a lot. They go for these one word named episodes, and yeah, Zenith like right. surprisingly fits in really well with that. <laughs> Despite us like not having watched the show, that was a joke. By the way, I don't think we're the highest point of Blake Seven podcasts. No, I, I don't either. <laughs> but again, were we ever trying to be? I mean, I think we strove for quality, but there's only so much we can do as two guys sitting in an office with two microphones and a laptop, right? We don't have like a really over-the-top recording setup here. (laughs) We don't do this full-time. We're definitely hobbyist podcasters. On that note, I'm glad that people called us their favorite Blake 7 podcast. That's a really big boost to my self-esteem. Yeah, it kind of makes me think they haven't listened to... You know, Spacefall or Blake Seven in character, or, you know, maybe any of the other ones we mentioned. <laughs> the great thing about this conversation is you can't tell if we're being humble or self deprecating. <laughs> or if we're like humble bragging. 
I feel there's a hint of that. I mean, even subconsciously, I feel there's a hint of that going on here. Perhaps. I just don't want it to end, if I'm being honest. I mean, on one hand, I've been really excited to go through people's fantasy Blake Sevens to see what people come up with. On the other hand, I don't want it to end. (laughs) I'm ready for it to end. I mean, I'm glad we're not having to do two weekly podcasts anymore. I mean, I'm sure like a month from now, I'm like, where the hell is Blake Seven? I need that Blake Seven fix, man. (laughs) You become like an addict. (laughs) Looking in the back back alley for those (laughs) shady black market Blake Seven. (laughs) No, I mean, what's going to, what I'll have to start doing is, you know, watch just an episode a week, but it won't be, there won't be new. So it won't be as good. Always listen to the audios. <laughs> True. I mean, I'm also glad that we're not doing two episodes a week. I mean, I don't think we ever went into a lot of detail about how much work actually doing two weekly podcasts is. And I'm sure people out there who have podcasts would understand, but you know. it's. I mean, it's, it's just, it's like a time sink. I mean, we yeah, it's just come like in here and record sink. for like an hour to two hours. And then like adding Blake seven was like, all right, we're here for three hours a weekend. At least, yeah. typically. And then if we do a crossover, that typically bumps it to three and a half. Yeah. You know, we start at eight. We're typically not off here till 11. Right. 11.30. Plus then, you know, the length of the podcast recording an hour. Yeah. Because Zenith typically ran about an hour. It was longer than Trust Your Doctor most weeks. Right. Then we, you got to edit. Well, I got to edit the episode. <laughs> so that's, you know, if it's an hour long episode, it typically takes me an hour and 20 because I cut out all the ums and ahs or most of them, most of the easily accessible ones yeah and i mean for me it pretty much adds up to the same amount of time listening right. to the episode and and doing all the notes and stuff even so, with how yeah. lax i am about some of them it still comes out to like an hour 20 so between us that's about you know five hours a week just for one yeah, podcast right. and then we do two of them a week and that's about a 10 hour time sink a week and then we have triple play as well <laughs> and then triple play which is once a month but you know the weeks that we have triple play that's another those episodes another don't hour. typically run up to an hour so that's typically about four hours between the two of us so and plus i mean we have to watch for triple play as well yeah, which is an old thing movie trilogies so i mean it's just a lot of work and i'm not complaining about it because you know to an extent i do enjoy this right i yeah. enjoy coming in here and recording yeah, we wouldn't every do weekend it if we, we, didn't we wouldn't do it if, if so we're not making money out of this, <laughs> yeah, <so>. exactly <laughs> but on the other hand it's like actually paying to do this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're paying for you to listen to us and like i said it's not that i'm complaining because i do enjoy this it's just like it's it's tiring, I guess is the thing. Yeah, I mean, no. Because not no only that, we didn't even include the time it takes to watch Blake Seven and trust and Doctor Who every week into that, that right. thing, and that's another two hours there every week. Yeah, it's just tiring, is the thing, and and to finally have a break is nice. Yeah, <laughs> but I think we have a couple of. Kind yeah, of best of, worst ofs we want to go through here just right. to kind of cap this off. This will be brief. We'll get into the fantasy stuff pretty quickly here. Right. Um, we're just going to go through real quick. So favorite character. And this is of, I mean, you're not going to choose like Avalon or, or um, the I mean, I guess you could choose Avalon master. since she was the most, she was like the primary character in the uh, way Okay, ahead. yeah, like you can, uh, I imagine I mean, this I'm is not like gonna the choose, principal. Yeah, I'm not going to choose Avalon. <laughs> Uh, so, which of us wants to go first? We could just alternate going yeah. first for all of these. So, you can go first for this so one. I'll go first yeah. for this one. I think Avon is my favorite character uh, on the show. I just, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> I really like specifically series C Avon, where he you can like kind of tell he's like uncomfortable with his leadership role that he's been given, but he's still like trying to yeah. live up to these ideals that Blake lived up to, but he's he's definitely more of an anti-hero than Blake ever was. He's kind of ruthless 
in that regard. And I, I, I enjoy seeing a character who's like not so classically awful. Kidding. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> not so not so classically like good, right? Like Blake, you know, Blake was the one character going into this who was he was yeah. framed for his crime, and he was like super idealistic and always tried to do the right thing. Whereas Avon, yeah, I mean that's the thing. Blake's crime, out of all of them, Blake's crime was um, rebelling against an oppressive government, which right. people can really get behind, right? And you know, I just enjoy seeing a character who's not so classically like the good guy you watch a television show and typically the the main characters are like the good people right and avon is like he's trying to do the right thing but you can tell it's like not his mo and it's <laughs> and it's like out of his, his comfort zone and, and watching him do that throughout the show and and playing off of blake i think was just i really enjoyed it and he's my favorite character because of that yeah avon's up there for me but uh, I'm going to go for a slightly more controversial, I think. I swear to God, if you say can. <laughs> <laughs> Just end the podcast short right there. No, no. no I think my favorite character is Serval Ann. Uh, That's actually a fair choice. I think she's up there for me yeah, as well. Yeah, I think... Uh, just Jacqueline Pierce is the best actor on Blake 7. And yeah, I, I would agree I, with I that. I put her above Paul Darrow. I mean, it's definitely a close... I race think between those race. two and I put her above Paul Darrow um, <laughs> especially with some questionable decisions from Paul Darrow in Series D <laughs> <laughs> but Servaline also had I mean it was really it was really she Avon and Villa who were there from beginning to end right and she had such an interesting character and, and learning about her backstory from you know between Series A and, and, and D Made her an mm-hmm. even better villain than just her her you know normal ruthless self that we see on screen. Right. She's definitely one of the villains I've seen in anything that has the most character development yeah. throughout the show. Right. I mean, especially that episode for getting uh, Children of Auron, where she cries because the clone children she has are dead, and then after that, she becomes like increasingly more just ruthless. She starts wearing black. Right. Like that's something that. Not a lot of television shows we go for. Yeah, my uh, I know uh, early on in the show I mentioned Eureka Seven, and we actually mentioned a lot of shows that were inspired by Blake Seven because mm-hmm. they're surpri- they're surprisingly a lot. Even though I th- I feel like most people, and I know we discussed this, but I feel like most people aren't aware of Blake Seven, but po- probably know about shows that were yeah. inspired by it. Um, but Eureka Seven is a, a cartoon, Jap- so anime series, Japanese cartoon, and the villain in that Dewey is my favorite villain like ever. In anything, and mm-hmm. he's like such a he's he's a, a pretty big mix of of Servaland and Travis, mm-hmm. and that that scene where Servaland cries is like very foundational. It's like this it, to to his character as well. Right. I mean, yeah, on that topic of people knowing things inspired by Blake Seven, it's almost a student surpasses the master thing, right? Yeah. People know more about the things that were inspired by Blake Seven than they do Blake Seven, which is just interesting, I think. Firefly is a definite right, one Firefly. There. I mean, I would consider Dark Matter as well. Yeah, for sure. Like you said, Eureka 7. I'd say there are definitely episodes of Star Trek Enterprise that draw from Blake 7 <clears throat> as well. And I think, uh, you know, Babylon 5. Yeah, Babylon 5, definitely. Uh, you know, I think there are also some episodes of Battlestar Galactica that could probably be said to have been inspired by Blake 7. But anyway... What's our next category? Uh, Worst least, ca- least, least favorite, favorite character, yeah. right? So you want to go first for this one? Yeah. Uh, this one might be controversial as well, but I'm going to say... Swear to God, if you say Gan. 
<laughs> no, no. Gan's not on any of this for me. Uh, Gan, despite how much I liked him in the beginning, is just middle of the road at the end, I guess. My least favorite character is Jenna. That and, is controversial. And I feel like out of the main characters, she just... Well, actually, now that I think about it, now that I think about it, I don't know. I mean, I didn't come into this with a plan. I'm making all this up on the spot. Well, this is a tricky category because, like, I think all the characters had some character development, and I liked aspects of all of them. I was going to say Su Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to change mine. I'm going to go with Su because she had even less than Jenna. Yeah, and not only that, like, in my opinion, there wasn't really a reason for her to be there. She's she was very similar clear. to Dana. She's pretty clearly a Kali replacement, but even in that aspect, she's actually really similar to Dana with, like, less Lines. <laughs> less character. Because <laughs> Dana had that whole thing where Servalan killed her dad. And... Yeah, Dana was great, like, overall. Right, but Sulin came into it and, and, and didn't really have that kind of motivation off the bat. She didn't have that really driving force. She just happened she to be as... with Dorian when they killed him, yeah. right? I mean, she was... We I know we discussed this at one point, but she mm-hmm. wasn't as unique as the rest of them, right? You think of Series A and we have Blake, the rebel, and mm-hmm. they, uh, they do this in the last episode too. Avon, the... Uh, you know, the... The, the psychopath. The psychopath. The anti-hero, the thief. Really. They all have their role, but Sulin doesn't necessarily have a unique role. Yeah, yeah. We definitely talked about roles. Like, you know, Series A was... Blake was the, the leader. Jenna was the pilot. Callie was, Gan was kind of the muscle, Callie was sort of the everyman, Villa was the thief, and Avon was the anti-hero. And then you get to series D and you're like, well, Tarrant's the pilot and, and Avon's the leader, Villa's still the thief, but also the drunk, and Dana's the weapons expert. And then it's like, well, what is, what is Sulin, right? Yeah. And I don't think that's a knock on Linus Barber. I, don't, I just don't think she was like given anything right. to make us like her. So at least favorite, by the way, doesn't mean bad, at least not in my opinion. Yeah. I, but it's, I mean, Jenna is still... Right next to Sulin for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is probably a good time to bring up... St. Clinton asked us in an email, and I don't remember what episode we put the email in now, but he was, asked us to answer... on the show. To, I believe Series B. Yeah, I think so as well, where he asked us to respond to a question at the end of the show. Which character do we most personally identify with? Right, and he, he specified that it didn't have to be main characters. It could mm-hmm. be anyone. Um, I swear to God, if you <laughs> All right, well, why don't you take this one first? This is a tricky one. Because it is kind of an abstract question. And you know what? I'm going to say a question that's uh, an answer that's probably going to surprise a lot of people. And I'm going to say Tarrant. (laughs) Huh. Wow. Yeah, I know. (laughs) After all that. Yeah. After all that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was surprised myself, but like, I don't know when, when, you know, when you pointed out that question right now and I was like, just thinking about it, like the first, like immediately the first person that jumped into my head was Tarrant and, you know, I, I just feel like similar I relate hair-ish, similar hair ish. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a plus. <laughs> that's for sure a plus, but I don't know, just being kind of the guy in the background who, uh, everybody's like, haha, just write him off. Cause he doesn't do anything. I don't know. Also, in some ways, feel like I... Uh, Is that why you uh, redeemed him in your story? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was unintentional. Uh, no, I mean, redeeming him was intentional. Uh, it was unintentional that it happened to be the character I feel like I most identify with. I don't know. 
I just feel like I identify with him being the kind of guy that if what he writes off, everybody takes the piss out of. Uh, and he kind of seems to play into it as well, which I know I do. When <laughs> I make a lot of self-deprecating jokes <laughs> off the podcast. And yeah, for that reason, I'm going to say Tenet. But I'm curious to hear your answer to this. All right. Well, I mean, St. Clinton, you might be regretting uh, allowing us to do anyone because I'm going to go with those drugged up people in, in the way back <laughs> who decide to stay complacent and not go against the Federation. Because <laughs> I feel it's just best to fall in line and uh, not stick out and just go with the flow. They probably had way easier lives. You know, ignorance is bliss. That's fair. There you go. That's (laughs) fair. Just realized neither of us chose Xenorak or Slave for any of these characters. Why did you think we we would? Well, I was just thinking I could have put Slave as my least favorite character, but... Oh, for the... I thought you meant for the what? Which one we? Oh yes, to. because I really relate to Orak, <laughs> this god-level knowledge being that can know anything. No, I relate to Taron. He's good at his craft, but doesn't like to show off. Is he good? Or is he faking? I mean, that was the that was one of the things we talked about in Series D, where I was like, "Well, Series D really feels like a parody of itself." Because in Series C, Tarrant was like the best pilot they've ever seen, because he does that spinning move with the Liberator and does all this nonsense with the Liberator, and like we've never seen that before, and completely outwits the Federation piloting the Liberator. But then he gets the Scorpio, and he's like, "Ah!" Uh, and he becomes a subtle, like bumbling fool <laughs> at the controls. It's like, well, what really happened between the two seasons? Terry Nation left. Yeah, Terry Nation <laughs> left is the thing. I guess I relate with Series C talent more than Series oh, D man, talent. Because Series D talent is where he really becomes like the butt of the joke. I should have picked Terry Nation as my most character I relate to. The most. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, what's next on our list? Favorite episode and least favorite episode. So We're favorite have to pull episode. Up a, we'll have to pull up a list. Yeah, for, let's pull for up least a, favorite at least. I think well, I know so my, my favorite, favorite episode. Uh, you can go first. Because I went first for relation, character relation. What's the final episode of Series C called? I forget what, what that one's called. Something with an R. Uh, aftermath? No. No, it's... It uh, oh, sorry, Terminal. Terminal. Rescue was yep. the first episode. Terminal is my favorite. Terminal. Yep. Interesting choice. I think it what Series C is all about, which is very interesting to me, as is evident by our Series C episodes, um, it all comes to a head in that episode. Mm-hmm. And I love that little speech from Servalan. It was a drug-induced and electronic dream. Uh, mine's gonna be Shadow. Yeah, I knew you were gonna pick Shadow. Shadow was really, yeah, Shadow's real good. Shadow, Shadow was really, really good. good. I kind of expected you were gonna pick Terminal as well, because uh, Series C. I don't know, I really like Shadow. I think it epitomizes like all the things I really liked about early Blake 7 and late Blake 7, where it's a self-contained story, but everybody feels like they have a part. Uh, we get a lot of really interesting high-level concepts, and it's like paced and plotted really well. So, it's got a lot of those classic Blake 7 ideas like the moon discs <laughs> Callie's moon disc never shows up again damn. damn I should have written about that for my fantasy Blake 7 moon disc spinoff <laughs> moon disc spinoff when <laughs> uh, least favorite episode uh, yeah, you're going first on this one my bad well mine is animal <laughs> animals animals yeah do we even need to say anything about, <laughs> about animals I mean it's I just, just feel like it was a travesty of an episode <laughs> yeah it was. It absolutely I mean, like, was. even if you ignore the really questionable love plot between Dana and... Justin. Justin. Thanks for preempting the fact that I was going to forget his name. 
Even, yeah, if you, even ignoring that, it's yeah. just it's a terrible episode. Yeah, like there's a lot of questionable decisions. It's like trying to do uh, that Series A episode, uh, the one with the brain in the jar. Not the brain in the jar, but the withered uh, old dude. The web? The, yeah, the web. It's trying to do the web again, uh, but worse. Serverland's motivations are like really questionable. The freaking <laughs> psychotherapy with Dana is like, what <laughs> is going on here? You love him. <laughs> You love yeah, him. and Serverland just standing <laughs> in the background. It's Serverland at her weakest. Yeah, definitely Serverland at her weakest, and and the rest of the crew besides Dana does jack <laughs> the whole episode. So you know, like Avon kicking down that chair. That was the only good moment in that episode, <laughs> and I will forever replay that episode in my mind as one of the shining moments of Paul Dano's acting. <laughs> my least favorite episode is Traitor. Interesting. It's just the most bland, boring uninteresting and awful episode of Blake 7. It's one of the few Blake 7 episodes that I would say isn't good. Right. I would classify most Blake episodes, Blake's 7 episodes as above average, even if they I don't think they're great or even if I mm-hmm. don't think they're my favorite. I would agree with that. Um, but there are a couple that are pretty far below average and I think Traitor is one of them. I think, yeah. I mean, I think there are three episodes that I would consider below average. Uh, Animals, Volcano, and Traitor. I would put Orac on that list. I put I would have the exact same list, but with Orac pretty on it. solidly in the middle. I think for me, pretty mediocre average. But yeah, I agree with all your points about Trader. Although I did, I do remember enjoying Trader more than you did. I mean, there was the the only thing I liked from the episode. There was one moment, uh, as you had with animals. I like the the Sleer Servland mm-hmm. thing that was going on there. But introduced Pylene Fifty was, which was a driving point behind Warlord. So I guess there was that, right? And also, it was a driving point in, like, the episode, two episodes after Animals, where they try to find that other genius. They try to find that genius oh, um, to uh, the make... the one with the space rats. Yeah. I forget what that one was called. Yeah. To make a to make a drug that can counteract Pylene 50. Oh, no, that wasn't the one with, um, with the what's-her-face. No, that was Star Drive. Killed. Yeah, it wasn't Star Drive. No, it, it wasn't was... Star Drive. It was... Hang on, if I bring up a list, I'll probably remember. Uh, I think it was actually Animals. <laughs> actually because well, they were looking he, for justin because they're like oh he's a great genius you can counteract pileen 50 pretty sure it was animals and then i think we're going to rank the the seasons right yeah this is going to be tricky is it me to go for uh, this one I, I think it's me yeah well, we went you me you me you me you okay wait wait yeah i think that i think that's what it was I might have missed. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. matter. Yeah, just go. <laughs> All right. So, <sighs> this is actually like pretty difficult. Not for me. I have a pretty clear for the top. Ranking. For the well, for the top, for me, it pretty obviously goes Series C and then Series A. Uh, and I, I, I kind of waffle between Series C and Series A, which I like better. And I think I'm gonna go with Series C, uh, just because I, I think I like it. I think I like the Liberator better when it's led by Avon. I like the episodes overall in Series C better than, than A. Uh, and then I'd probably put Series B and then Series D at the bottom. Series D had some really good episodes right at the end. Yeah, I just don't it think did. it was enough to save its kind of middling start. No, and and evidently a lot of people do think it's enough to save the mm-hmm. beginning of the season because, I mean, I remember back uh, probably six or seven months ago when I ran that poll on Twitter. Right. I mean, again, it only had like 30-something people who responded but series d came out as as a favorite and i've constantly heard from fans online that series d is weak in the beginning but the episodes at the end are so strong that mm-hmm. they save the entire season and make it the best season mm-hmm. which i don't agree with 
Yeah, so what's your full ranking? Uh, my full ranking is A, C, B, D. That's pretty clear it's in pretty my mind. It's pretty similar to me then. Yeah. I waffle between C and A at the top, so. Yeah, I, I, uh, I have a fondness for, for Series A. I watched half of that series twice. Uh, and I think the episodes, I don't know, I think Terry Nation episodes are, are really good. Well, I think so, Series A is really good. Yeah, right up until well. uh, right up until the end. There's a weak ending. I'll yeah, and I think that. the end is is where for me. I think the end is the reason why I place it slightly below CBC for me yeah. because the end drops off the map a little bit. Ah, Terry, <laughs> don't worry, Terry. I understand how you feel now. <laughs> but yeah, pretty much agree with that. I maybe we should run that poll on Twitter again at the end of this. Uh, like maybe you should run it when you put this episode maybe. out. Maybe I don't just, see if just to see really if we get any, any more responses. Need to do so, maybe. So I guess that leads us into the segment everybody's been waiting for: Fantasy Blake Seven. Heck yeah! So, so we should got, we explain what this is again? So let's just, explain. Yeah, let's explain this. What this is? It's a good idea. Basically, we asked people, fans, listeners. You didn't have to be a fan of, of Zenith to respond. No, you we just in had fact, to be a listener we, to we, know. Yeah, you yeah. actually didn't have to be a listener because I posted this on Facebook and Twitter. I was going to say, we, we even explicitly mentioned in the episode you didn't have to be a fan <laughs> of Zenith to respond. We asked people to pitch to us their, in, in, in their perfect universe uh, what Blake 7 would look like. And we basically gave people free reign to do whatever they wanted, whether they wanted to reboot Blake 7 or if you wanted to do Blake 7 with a different cast or different writers or different showrunners or or whatever it was just a different form of Blake yeah. 7 you know uh, it was pretty it was left pretty open I think what mm-hmm. most people went for including myself is like Series E yeah I went for Series E as well uh, quite a few I think it was about a 50-50 split between uh, Series E and a reboot slash remake yeah there are people who were like vehemently against rebooting it <laughs> yeah. and I'm one of them so. and uh, you know a couple people went uh, for a unique direction where they told us a story that they would have liked to see or something like that yeah so i mean some people sent in a story some people sent in like concepts for Mm -hmm. like uh, production staff and stuff like that right so So we got a pretty wide variety right of responses and basically we're going to go through them and i think we're just going to have fun with it and and talk about it and imagine what what could have been i think yeah I mean, this we is have just, no plan. Like yeah. this is off the cuff. So it's just off the cuff. I mean, this is really just us supposed to be having a good time at the end of the podcast, right? So yeah, I mean, we're not gonna like, I don't know, nitpick your story or whatever. You no, suggest. we'll just read it. And- yeah, we'll just we'll read it. We'll talk about it. We'll crack some jokes. Uh, we're gonna save hours. <laughs> hopefully, not at the expense of the yeah, story. Hopefully, not at the expense of the story. But if it sounds like that. We apologize because uh, that's clearly that's like I want to make it clear that's not what we're going for. We're not here to make fun of people's ideas right. or or their submissions. Like that's their submission not, to our will. Yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so typically, I read all the emails we get for this podcast. My but throat, considering they're yeah, like considering we got ten responses for sure. There may be some that have slipped through the cracks. I try to be pretty diligent about getting all the ones we got on the email on the and on the website. 
uh, yeah, I'm, collated. I'm pretty sure I got all of them from Twitter. I don't think there were any on Facebook, but I'm pretty sure I, I caught all of them on Twitter. Um, but we're also going to be putting this on our website. Yeah, we're so going to put all the un- we're going to put uh, all of everybody's submissions into the show notes on the website. So if we somehow missed yours, which again I don't think we did, but if if that turns out to be the case, it'll be on the website. Yeah, send us an email about it, and and we'll put it up on the website. And yeah, like I said, I usually read everything we get, but my throat is yeah. We'll we'll, alter- crying. we'll alternate, so, especially because this is over ten pages of of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like mine ended up being. Well, we'll get there. Well, mine we'll is, like a, own, mine is like a footnote compared to yours. <laughs> I did not put much effort into mine. Well, like Before I said, I, I did this in two days. I entered like a Terry Nation-induced fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> a drug-induced and electronic dream. So we'll go ahead and we're going to get started. These are in no particular order. These are just in the no, order that we... just kind of in a random order. We have order. like a Google Doc with them all in and they're just kind of in the order that we all remembered to put them in so yeah. uh, I don't know who which one of us wants to take it away with the first one go ahead why not so, okay I'll lead us off uh, this is the first one from at Nuke on Twitter my Blake 7 dream would be Lawrence Fishburne as Blake Mads Mikkelsen as Avon uh, Hugh Dancy as Villa Karen Gillan as Kelly Caroline Davinas as Jenna Julian Anderson as Servalant and Paul Bettany as Zen Orak. Basically Hannibal in space <laughs> with Amy Pond. I need it. <laughs> I only know... I think I... I don't think I know who most of those actors are. Uh, I know Lawrence Fishburne and Mads yeah. Mikkelsen. I know, yeah. Karen Gillan. Right. And I don't know the rest. Julian Anderson I know. I know. I've I can't heard play, the name. I can't place a p- face. And Paul Bettany, uh, I also know. He plays Vision in the Marvel movies. No. And he also provides the voice for Jarvis. And he was in Solo. I think Karen Gillan could work surprisingly well as as Callie. I mean, I would have never put that together, but now that now that it's been put together, mm-hmm. I can Paul, see it. Paul Bettany as Zen and Orak, I can see too. Uh, I assume you're going off like his voice from uh, as Jarvis in in Iron Man and the Avengers movies, and and yeah, I think he he has he definitely has that kind of gravitas in his voice to to do Zen and Orak in this kind of alternate universe. Mads Mikkelsen as Avon is also, yeah. I think, a really good choice. <laughs> well, as, as is Lawrence Fishburne as Blake, I think that is... Yeah, uh, I think those are really good yeah. choices. Like, these these wouldn't be what I would come up with off the top of my head, but, like, no. reading through it, I'm like, man, these would actually... Like, if we were doing, like, a modern-day Blake 7, these would yeah. be really good choices yeah. uh, for these roles. I'm kind of interested to see who would write... For the series, you mentioned Hannibal in space, so presumably, I guess, someone... <laughs> you imagine someone from that show writing for this imaginary, imaginary version of Blake 7. Right. Could be really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> really good choices there, uh, Farshnook. All right, so the next one is from David, and I believe this was uh, a, comment a comment on the on website. website. mm mm-hmm. So David says, as to a fantasy reimagining of Blake 7, that is a tough one. I think I would have the following actors for these roles. Servaland would be played by Morena Bakarin, who played Anna in the 2009 version of V. She would be perfect as a villain. Avon played by Philip Glenister. He played Gene Hunt in Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes, though he may be a bit too old for the role now. Villa would be played by uh, Martin Freeman, almost said Morgan Freeman, who played Arthur Dent in the movie version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Kelly played by Keely Hawes from the series Ashes to Ashes. Ashes to Ashes. I can't think of who I want to play Blake, Jenna, Gannon, Travis, though. And then David came back with another comment. 
Mm-hmm. Gan played by Adrian Rollins, Blake played by Benedict Cumberbatch. We'll have to think about who I would want the other roles played by. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't know most of these actors. I think. Right. I definitely know Cumberbatch. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch, I know Martin Freeman, I know as well. Because uh, he again, he's also in the Marvel movies, but he plays uh, Watson and Sherlock, the TV oh, show. Oh, huh. Okay. Yeah. And let me just run through these actors again. Yeah, I'm not familiar with. Most I'm not of familiar them. with a lot of these. Uh, it sounds like you've watched a lot of Ashes to Ashes recently. Had <laughs> <laughs> to make a guess, uh, David. Uh, kind of a bummer that I'm not familiar with a lot of these actors, so I can't precisely comment on how interesting or you know what this version of Blake Seven would look like. Yeah. Ashes to Ashes, I've heard, is a pretty dark show, so I kind of imagine an even more gritty <laughs> version of Blake Seven, if that's even possible. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. possible. Benedict Cumberbatch is as Blake. I think it works because he he usually commit. He usually commands any scene he's in based on the things yeah. I've seen him in. Yeah, much like, well, much like much. he does in Sherlock. Much like Gareth much Thomas like does Gary, in, yeah. this, in this show. Yeah, they also have similar hairstyles. So, yeah, sort of. Yeah, I guess. I actually think yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch is is more similar hair to Tarrant. Now that I think about it. Can you imagine Benedict Cumberbatch's talent? <laughs> no, I can't, actually. <laughs> you would have to find someone, like, incredibly imposing as Avon for that to work. <laughs> is there anything Cumberbatch has been in where he's been, like, not, uh, where he's been, like, slightly incompetent? I don't think so. I don't At least think so. he's not so. famous for anything. He's not famous for that type of character. Yeah, no. He's he, famous he, for the opposite of that type of character. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, Benedict Cumberbatch typically plays the, like, very intelligent, put-together yeah. guy. So not like, only is everything. he a famous actor, he's famous for, like, being perfect, playing yeah. perfect characters. Yeah. I mean, Sherlock, <laughs> Alan Turing, and like the, the Imitation anti- Game. Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> you have Adam Sandler play Ted. Doctor Strange, even? Yeah, Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's the Victor Grinch. Frankenstein. He's in the new. Oh yeah, God, Victor Frankenstein has haunted this podcast from beginning to end. Yeah, this is not the lost of there's, Frankenstein inspired things we will have no, for this fantasy Blake Seven. The I forget what year this. This is a sort of. I think it's recent within the past five years. The the play version of Frankenstein that he's in. He alternates between playing Victor and the creature with another actor. Like so, they hmm. alternate like night by night. Interesting. Which is Jeez. a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Yeah. but it's also pretty interesting actually. Yeah. I mean, you have to learn. You basically just learn yeah. the whole play at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, next up. This and is our third one from at 50DW50 on Twitter. Fantasy yeah. Blake 7, a one-off special to mark the anniversary of the show following a brave group of Federation officers who have to deal with the horrific aftermath of the atrocities committed by an almost mythical terrorist group led by Blake. Nice, I like it. It's it's somewhat similar to mine, I, I think. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a... Uh, it's a, re- rever- a reversal. Right. It's like a, a yeah, reverse Blake 7 kind of thing. Yeah. Where we see the, the fallout of Blake's actions <laughs> on, yeah. the, on the Federation. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Federation guards on Blake 7 were basically just fodder. <laughs> um, <laughs> we never really got them as characters, so I really like this idea. Yeah, I really like this idea. I'm kind of maybe envisioning it almost as like a horror movie shot... <laughs> 
Wait, like the Federation troopers are our main protagonists and Blake is this almost like Jason type character <laughs> coming for them and they're like, oh God, he's coming. <laughs> and then, I mean- Jesus Christ, it's Blake. Raj Blake. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking like, because in this way, then you wouldn't even need to actually use Blake and you could actually make it as like a, a one-off anniversary special, like 50DW50, because he could just kind of be a presence in the background where they're like, they're terrified of Blake showing up. Yeah. Yeah, that would be real cool. It would be real cool. It's a good idea. 50DW50. Pitch it to Big Finish. What if, and this is sort of stemming from that idea a little bit, but what if there were, what if there was a, a special or a show that detailed like someone within the Federation who's similar to Blake but wants mm-hmm. to strengthen the, wants to like, wants to de-corrupt the Federation or wants mm-hmm. to make the Federation, wants to... He basically the, wants to work from the inside. Yeah, wants to work from the inside and, and improve the Federation and then, you know, butts heads with Blake. Mm-hmm. So like an anti-Blake. Yeah. And I feel like people could get behind a character like that maybe even more than Blake. Yeah, possibly. Because he wouldn't be... He wouldn't be as radical. He wouldn't be as radical and also he would he'd be like, maybe he could actually have some success working within the system. Right. I mean, there are a lot of movies and TV shows that do the thing was like, I got to work within the system to change the system. And then like the psychic is like, no, it never works. And it's like, well, seems to be working fine right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. That could be interesting. And then you could, you can see the differences, you know, maybe the Federation has always been portrayed in a negative light because we always see everything from Blake's point of view. And then maybe in right. this, this anti Blake, we see the Federation is, is maybe not as bad as we've been led to believe. Yeah, I really like it. I dig it. That wasn't 50DW50's idea at all, but... <laughs> well, we we took what he said yeah. and, and expanded upon it. But I like his idea. Yeah, I like his idea. It's, a, it's, it's, it's unique, I think. Okay, so next one's coming from at Red Twit Down on Twitter. I'm working on a longer one, but here's a simple one to fit in a tweet. Orak is the only surviving crew member. He gets his own spinoff series like the canine one, but darker love it i love canine company <laughs> un uh, as much as i hate that word unironically looking forward <laughs> to watching the canine uh, and sarah jane show when we get there on trust your doctor <laughs> i don't know how this one would work yeah Warak isn't as like lovable as, as canine i don't think well, well I mean, so i wasn't thinking about that i think you could still get behind Warak because we get behind blake and, and, and we get behind avon even though they're not like the most lovable of characters i was thinking because Warak is basically completely immobile <laughs> which is like well he would get picked up by someone is the thing <laughs> probably he could be put on the head of that bot <laughs> could, headhunter yeah they could reveal there's another expert out there who's been working on an even better frame <laughs> Well, <laughs> in Afterlife, that novel I mentioned earlier that supposedly takes place, you know, that was published like right after the show finished, freaking Avon reveals that Ensor made a mini Orac <laughs> right before he died. <laughs> like another Orac. <laughs> I told you that novel was bonkers from the plot synopsis I read. Yeah, I mean, I think this could be a really cool idea. I also think it could be uh, terrible <laughs> in uh, execution. You know, it's one of those so things that sounds really carefully, good. But I think yeah. it's I think it would be good. It, it sounds really good on paper. You know, I can get behind it. If you can figure out a way to get ORAC mobile, I, uh, I'm behind it. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one is actually a, an audio recording by regular correspondent St. Clinton 
Uh, it's about four minutes long, so we're going to go ahead and listen to it. And I'm going to put the audio into the episode here, right, right here. So, Hey, everyone. This is Zane Clinton. I want to give you an update as to the surviving crew of Blake 7. Dana, she's now president of the Federation for life. Also turns out she was Serverland's daughter. Hal Mallonby, her dad, and Serverland had been having an affair. Serverland became pregnant. Hal managed to get them both into a hospital, operate on, minds erased. Dana was transferred from one to the other. So, the person that Dana thought was her mother really wasn't. This was discovered during DNA tests done after Dana had killed Servalan. Villa, Vice President of the Federation. I'm sure you're going, what? Villa Vice President? Well, you see, Avon really knew the intelligence of Villa. But he didn't. He wanted to make sure that he knew where he was. So he rigged all the computers during the election so that no matter who somebody voted for to be vice president, they were voting for Villa. Villa wasn't happy about it. Dana was okay with it. But we'll find out what happened to Avon in a minute. Sulin. Su Lin is now Secretary of Defense. Dana recognized Su Lin's ability when it came to weapons and war and put her into that position for life. Del Tarrant. Well, Del is serving, Tarrant is serving a 50 year sentence in prison. Remember that story that Tarrant had said when, he, when we first met him about he had gone to the Space Academy and dropped out supposedly? Or turned out he had actually finished long ago. And Servland placed him out, here, out there to be a part of the crew, of the Blake 7 crew, to spy on them. He wanted to make sure that weren't doing too much. The rest of the crew discovered it. He's now doing 50 years. Orak? Well, Orak is out there in space. He built a miniature version of Scorpio. Because, as we all saw, Orak had a quest for knowledge. So he's traveling all over the world. Jenna, she's so alive and governor of several planetary systems. And finally Avon, because of what he did to Villa, he's now on an island and he is the new number two. Well, that's it 
with the crew of Blake 7. Take care. So, first of all, I'm really glad Taryn is doing 50. <laughs> 50 years? Serves, yeah, 50 years. Serves him right. For what? I thought he redeemed himself. Yeah, but, I mean, as it turns out, he was working for Servaland all along. Well, only in St. Clinton's... Yeah, but that's what we're here Vogan. to talk about. Yeah. And yeah, I, know, I mean, I know a lot of this was... It's like somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I, I really like some of these ideas, like Dana actually being Servaland's daughter. That would be a big... That would be awesome. That would be a big twist. Yeah. That I think really works, actually. Yeah, like, the first time I listened through this, I was like, hmm, interesting. Well, and I thought it was kind of just a joke, but, you know, the second time through, I was like, you know, I think it could actually really work. Well, especially because Servalan has her mind erased, so she doesn't even know that she's killing her her daughter's father when she kills yeah, Hal. when she kills Hal. So that could, I mean, we see Servalan's, we see Servalan still has emotions when she cries for her children, right? So In, Yeah, ch- we, children of all. Right? Yeah, we can see how that might you know, affect her. Or maybe she would, maybe that would even fuel Dana's anger more if, if Servaland was just like, well, I don't care. You know, whatever. It means yeah, nothing to me. Killed my, uh, killed the guy I had an affair with and then I had you. I mean, it would put Dana in a really interesting position, which I think is why it might work. Cause she'd be like, well, do I need, do I have to kill my mom or what do I do? Right. <laughs> right. Cause she always had this, this insatiable desire to kill Servaland. And, also, it turns out the prisoner is set in the same universe as Blake 7. Classic Avon being dumped as uh, number two. <laughs> oh, is that what that... Yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> At the end there, huh. being dumped as number two on the island. Uh, Villa as vice president. Villa would actually make a good <laughs> vice president. Let's, uh, you know, if he stopped acting the fool for once and actually used all that knowledge we found out he had, he actually would be a pretty good vice president, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, I would vote for him. Because apparently I don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a classic Blake 7 thing, too. It's like, well, I, well, you know, you don't have a choice in who you vote for. Well, you think you do, but not really. Well, it's such a classic Blake 7 thing to do as well, where it's like, all right, now the Federation is democratic, but really you don't have a choice. Yeah, but really it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that was <laughs> really imaginative. Yeah. Actually, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I especially like the sultry music in the background. <laughs> Which kind of really drives home the... I don't know what it drives home, actually. I don't know why I started that <laughs> sentence like that. <laughs> uh, thank you, St. Linton, for yeah, that one. Thanks. I do really like the idea of, of Serverland being Dana's mom. There's a lot of interesting stuff that can be done with that one. Yeah, Dana, I mean, now just thinking about it now, like, if if Dana was done slightly differently, there could be a Series E... Or, or even like series D could have been this, where Dana is a main is the main character. Right, she has that like main character impetus, right, of like revenge. We kind, I mean, we kind of thought series C was going to go that way with Dana and, and Avon being the lead characters, especially since yeah. they were like the first two you see in Redemption. Yeah, right, and no, then uh, Redemption after Aftermath. Sorry, Math? Redemption was yeah. series B. Yeah, in Aftermath, and with Dana being like, I have to kill Serverland because Serverland killed her father and we thought it was going to be like a blake travis kind of thing with with dana and serverland and right. they didn't end up going that way but it's kind they, of where it seemed like of. it was going to go that way yeah. with aftermath all right so next i think it's your turn to read since i read uh the previous right. one so the next one's from hal morrison uh i believe this was an email an email mm-hmm. so hal morrison writes blake seven 
a 12-episode miniseries by showrunner Ronald D. Moore for Stars. Cast, Arthur Darvel as Blake. That is interesting. Uh, Ruth, Wils- Ruth Wilson as Avon. Michelle Ryan as Jenna. Gemma Arderton as Callie. Samuel Anderson as Villa. Aaron Douglas as Gan. Trisha Helfer, Helfer as Servalan. Uh, Kate's... Katie Sackoff? Katie Sackoff as Travis. Uh, visual effects supervisor, Doug Drexler. And yeah, that's it. Really um, interesting choices there. Uh, I recognize a couple of these. Trisha Helfer, Servalan, I think really works. I don't know who Trisha really Helfer is. well. She's... I think she's... Well... This is the consequence of, like, mostly watching animation. Is like, I don't know who most of these people are. I don't know what Trisha Helfer is mostly known for, because she's been in quite a bit, but... Just name one of them. She was in, probably haven't watched it. Adestar Galactica, uh, I believe. And, yeah, she has that kind of commanding presence that I think Jacqueline Pierce has as Servalan. I think she plays villainous roles really well but not just villainous roles but also like morally gray roles like that so i think you know that's a really good choice arthur darvel as blake is is interesting and i want to touch on that for a moment because you know i never really considered that arthur darvel to have the kind of screen presence that gareth thomas has yeah i mean i've only seen him on doctor who not -hmm. anything else i mean even in broad church you know it never felt like he was the one commanding presence in the scenes he's in, even in the scenes without Olivia Coleman and David Tennant, who both just <laughs> both have just such gravitas that you you can't help but watch them. Like even when he's playing off other characters, he feels like a very he, he feels kind of like a, a subdued kind of actor. However, well, I he plays. Th- we found out he plays Mephistopheles in the yeah. I was going to say. However, <laughs> I actually think it might work. Uh, in an interesting way. Like, I think it, it could be really interesting to see Arthur Dival as Blake uh, like that. Uh, Doug Drexler as visual effects supervisor, I think, is a really good choice. I don't even know who that is either. Uh, he did work on Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, he does a lot of visual effects work uh, on TV shows, sci-fi TV shows now. Uh, I think he does really good work. Uh, so I think that's good. Those are the only names I recognize. Michelle Ryan I recognize as well, but I'm not able to place a face right now. Uh, to the name Ruth Wilson is Avon did you gender swap Avon that's my question who I is I think Ruth can be a male name no, no Ruth Ruth Wilson I assume you mean the English actress known for her performance in Suburban Shootout that Ruth Wilson in which case you gender swapped Avon which is very interesting and Travis as well and Travis interesting hmm could it work? Do you think a gender swap Avon could work? Yeah. I think it would work. Yeah. There's no reason why, why it wouldn't. I mean, as long as they don't go for the sappy love plot between Avon and Blake. No, no, they wouldn't. Which. Well, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, Sorry, who? Hal? Hal didn't, you know, specify Indicate, yeah. that that was the case. <laughs> I mean, they could go for that. Yeah. I would hope that they wouldn't. Same here. I mean, as long as they didn't go for it, I think it would work really well. I mean, I guess it could work if they went for it as well. Uh, who am I to say, honestly? <laughs> who am I to say? Uh, I just think it's interesting that you gender-swapped uh, Avon. Nice. All right, so next up, we have uh, a- another audio recording from Argy, 
which I'm going to slip into the episode here. This is my Fantasy Blake 7 episode. Cast is Kelly, played by Carrie Mulligan, Dana, played by Freema Adjuman, Jenna, played by Felicity Jones, Serverland, played by Tandy Newton, Avon, played by Idris Elba, Villa, played by Martin Freeman, and Dratch, played by guest star Tuetel Ejiofor. Music is by Murray Gold. The director is Nick Hurran, and it's written by Al Bingham. Serverland has been so intent on chasing the Liberator around the galaxy that it has disproportionately aged her. She is at her wit's end. She stops to refuel her ship on a planet, where she hears two men talking together. One of them mentions a shipment of fuel that he is supposed to leave on neighbouring planet Mulloway for someone known only as the Falcon. Intrigued, Serverland directs her crew to stealthily make their way to Mulloway. This will give her a chance to learn who the mysterious Falcon is and steal herself some free fuel. Meanwhile, on the Liberator, Kelly is talking with Avon in her room. Kelly, don't you ever get tired of combing the universe for resources and running from the Federation? Avon, it keeps me young. Kelly, coyly, you're not so young. Avon, I'm not so old either. I can keep up with the best of them. Kelly, don't get too carried away. You only have to keep up with me. On the flight deck, Jenna picks up a distress call from a former colleague, Dratch. He tells her he has discovered a cache of weapons and is prepared to sell them to the Liberator crew to keep them out of Federation hands while also making some money. Jenna talks the rest of the crew into meeting up with him on an asteroid that is close by. She teleports there with Kelly and Dana after they all put on spacesuits. Villa sees Avon sending messages to someone and tries to find out who. As usual, Avon says it is none of his business. Villa, ah yes, it's only my business when it's locked or dangerous. Avon tells Zen to fly closer to the planet which the asteroid is circling, then asks Orak to describe it. Orak is annoyed at being interrupted as he was figuring out why humans think it necessary to determine pi to more than 3.14159265358979. It's completely irrelevant. He tells Avon that the planet is primarily a fueling station. Avon decides to teleport down for a closer look. Jenna, Kelly and Dana land on the asteroid. It is freezing as it has no atmosphere. Jenna sees a ship and they all go to investigate. A door on the ship opens and they walk in. Once inside, the atmosphere is breathable and not cold. Jenna, Kelly and Dana remove their spacesuits for their flight suits underneath. Jenna recognises Dratch and after regaling each other with some of their hairier adventures over the past couple of years, she asks to see the shipment of guns. Dratch admits that it doesn't exist, but that he has a bigger prize for the Liberator crew. He has a man stationed in Serverland's crew who has fed him intel that she is coming to the planet below the asteroid called Mulloway. Dratch, she's literally right under our noses. He sidles up to Kelly and puts an arm around her. I believe you can read minds. Can you read mine? Kelly, I can't read minds, but I can talk to them. Kelly, in Dratch's mind. I think I'm probably glad that I can't read your mind. Kelly in Jenna and Dana's minds. Right, girls, let's get out of here before Dratch decides to give us a tour of his ship. Jenna uses her bracelet to call Avon on the Liberator. 
only to find that he has departed the ship. As a result, she talks with Kelly and Dana about going down to Malloway and taking down Serverland. They agree. Dana, I will enjoy taking the life of that thing who killed my father. We cut back to Villa on the Liberator. He's sitting back with his feet soaking in a foot spa, some light jazz on and a glass of booze in his hand. Villa, you know, Zen, my business should always be this delicious. What's that? Would I like a curry? Why, yes, I would. Then we can play Fantasy Space Command. I'll be the Supreme Commander and I'll choose all the galaxy's most beautiful women to be in my crew. I might even show them how to pick my locks. You choose a crew too, then Orak can decide who wins. Orak, please don't interrupt me while I'm trying to understand why flags even exist. We cut to Jenna, Kelly and Dana landing on Mulloway. It is very hot, so they toss their spacesuits behind a boulder. Dana says that they should be careful how they search for Serverland. It wouldn't be smart to split up, but also not smart to get cornered as a group. Kelly suggests that she climb up a hill nearby and direct the other two about whether or not the way is clear for each of them. All three decide this plan is sound and Kelly sets off. She talks telepathically to Jenna first, telling her that there is an incline ahead that she should creep up to and wait. Then she directs Dana to round a corner and hide behind a tree. This type of thing goes on for a minute or so. At one point, Jenna is about to move. Then Kelly tells her to wait because there are some Federation troopers around the next corner. Kelly is able to guide Dana so that she comes up behind the troopers and shoots them dead. Serverland walks up behind Dana. Serverland. Ah, Dana, how very predictable you still are. Dana points gun at Serverland. Then you should know exactly what's coming next. Serverland raises her hands. Kill me and you'll never learn why I came to this planet. I think Jenna would like to know. Jenna walks around the corner. Would I? Kelly warns Jenna telepathically that Serverland has a gun. Jenna, I'll take that gun and any information you have. Serverland hands her gun to Jenna. Serverland, you realise, of course, that Dratch works for me. He's very handy. Jenna, yes, I've experienced his hands myself. Serverland, he escorted me here to capture someone they called a falcon. Avon, Raven would have been too obvious, don't you think? He steps out from behind a large rock, pointing yet another gun at Serverland. Serverland, ah, Avon, it never gets tired, does it? Us circling each other around and around the galaxy. One day I fear we will spiral down its drain, but not together. That will be the greatest pity. Dana, stand back, everyone, she's mine. Dana shoots at Serverland, but Dratch runs out from somewhere nearby and jumps in front of her, taking the bolt. Jenna, no! Serverland uses the distraction to run away. The old, with one bound, they were free, time-honoured British tradition. We see a spaceship take off in the distance. Jenna runs over to Dratch. Dratch, well, that didn't go exactly the plan. This is the last adventure we'll share together, old girl. He dies. Kelly, Avon, why didn't you tell us you were coming here to trap Serverland? Avon, I hadn't fully figured it out myself. Dratch got in contact with me a couple of days ago. You meeting up with him wasn't part of our plan. Jenna, you knew him? Avon, you would have a difficult time finding anyone who doesn't know Dratch. 
Well, except perhaps from now on. Avon smiles into the camera. Then the theme music swells. Nice. <clears throat> All right. Uh, let's go over the casting of that one first because I think there's some really cool choices in there. Yeah, I don't, again, I didn't know, like, I only knew, like, half of these people. Do you know Carrie Mulligan as yeah, Callie? Yeah, she, she played, uh, you know her too, she played Sally Sparrow in Blink. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah. And Freema, I still don't know how to pronounce her last name, Adjumen, yeah, I think. Yeah, As Dana. I think that's how Aji said it. Mm-hmm. I can see yeah, it. I, I can I see, see it. that as well. Based on how she plays Martha, I can definitely see it. Yeah, um, especially like you know, late series four Martha, where she's like part a of the unit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now Idris Elba is Avon. Mm-hmm. That I can. I mean, I feel like we're all we're saying is like I can see that, but like yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I that one. That one is like that's not that's one of those ones where you wouldn't think of it at first glance. And then when you really get think yeah. about it some more, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think it could work. I think a lot of these uh, are, are like that. Mm-hmm. What do you think about Murray Gold on, on music? I, I think that is really interesting because I've, the only thing I've heard Murray Gold on is Doctor Who. Right, me Which too. has a much more lighthearted soundtrack than Blake 7. Yeah. But then again, classic Doctor Who had a soundtrack very similar to Blake 7 because they were both done by Dudley Simpson. Right. Uh, I mean, Murray Gold's work gets darker in the 12th Doctor's era when... when the Doctor gets darker, obviously, and I yeah, mean, it also gets versatile. more sub- subdued when we get to the 12th Doctor, and I think if he works, if he kind of does like like that, then I think it would, it could play really well, uh, especially with the actors in this Fantasy Blake 7, I think it could work really well, and I think he could come up with some really interesting music for it. Yeah, Murray Gould is a, is a great composer, I think. Yeah, he's an incredibly versatile composer, and I think that you know, even if this is a little bit out of his comfort zone, he would fit right in after, you know, a couple episodes or two. In regards to the episode that RG wrote, basically classic Blake 7. Yeah, this is definitely a very Blake 7 um, episode. Mm-hmm. It, it takes place, I guess, in an alternate timeline because Jenna is with Dana. Right, yeah. Um, but that, I think, works, especially having the, th- mm-hmm. you know, the three female characters. Well, Jenna and Dana work better together than Sulin and Dana, as this yeah. audio already yeah. immediately shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, it's all there. The, the impetus for Dana to go after Servalan mm-hmm. is done better here than it was on the show. Servalan having some cunning plan where she's actually working with the person that... the liberated crew thought was with them yeah and the the dialogue here for all of them especially villa and serverland is is classic blake seven this yeah, this, spot on. this fits right in as like a a sort of special i think yeah f- maybe uh, even a 40th anniversary special <laughs> <laughs> i mean the story was very i mean i I was exceptionally keen to hear where it was going to go. I mean, when you get to the end, it's like, ah, yes, classic Blake 7 resolution. Serverland was working with Drash the whole time. Drash. But the, yeah, I feel like we're somewhat reviewing this, which we shouldn't be, but it's it's okay. I enjoyed it, I think. is I liked it, as I've liked all of these. So. Yeah. <laughs> no surprise there, right? My turn to read, I believe. You and get, I get the long you one. You get the long one. So, Jürgen, mean, so Jürgen sent us a story. Uh, If if you want me to read this one, I can, because you're reading your five-page thing. Oh, that's fair. So. All right. Yeah. Have fun with this. 
Alrighty then. So this one's from Jurgen. Okay, so this is called The Shape, a Halloween slash Frankenstein inspired short story set in the Blake's Seven universe. And it's 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 done. I've had enough, Sulin said to Dana in her usual matter-of-fact way. Dana was not sure to what or to whom Sulin was referring. The weapons expert still didn't know what to make of the gunslinger she'd known her for quite a long time, but didn't think she could trust her. Sulin would gun Dana down in an instant if she was a threat. At least she'd try to. Her gun-drawing skills were considerable, and Dana, no amateur markswoman herself, had been in awe of her since the first time she aimed a gun at the crew in Dorian's leisure room. However, as much as she missed the telepath Callie's soft side in maturity, she'd been like a mother and her spirit reminded her of her, of her adoptive sister Lauren, she did feel the new member of the crew had more in common with her. They were closer in age and both women handled guns well. They'd even provided each other sexual pleasure on occasion. Much to Terrence's chagrin, as they blankly refused him to take part in the carnal activities. Dana found out she was a lot better at hand-to-hand -hand combat, though when they went to Caspar and Sulin had been useless at defending herself against the leader of the Space Rats, Atlan, when he decided to use her as some kind of shield. Shield. I read that wrong, but no going back now. <laughs> to be fair, she was taken by surprise and it all happened rather quickly. Apart from helping her with her elaborate hairstyles, Sulin had asked Dana to help her become a better fighter, and the weapons expert had actually been impressed by her friend's uh, and occasional bedfellow's progress. Sulin, in turn, had tried to teach Dana to be less reckless and to think before she acted, but the 21-year-old was simply too fond of danger. There were signs that she'd matured quite a bit during her time on the Liberator and Scorpio, but she was still an, in a, still an adrenaline junkie and enjoyed taking risks. She would love to make good on her promise to kill Servalan, but this desire didn't define her as much as it used to. Come to think of it, did she actually ever have time to properly gr grieve for the deaths of her father and sister? She'd almost been a child when she threw in her lot with Avon and his motley crew. They'd become her new family. I've had enough of not making any progress killing Servalan, and feel feel we are held back by, other by the others, Sulin continued. I'm a pretty good judge of character, and Avon seems to be losing it. <laughs> Villa is turning into an alcoholic, and Tarrant, well, some people might consider him pretty to look at, but let's leave it at that. I don't agree with you there, Dana said. He's not useless. I owe him my life, just as he would have been dead if it wasn't for me. My biggest problem with him is the fact that he slept with my arch enemy. That sand... The sand probably had a part to play, but still. I won't forgive him for not being able to keep his urges in check while being alone with Commissioner Sleer. Uh, she said the she said the alias with a lot she said the alias with a lot of contempt. Sand or not. I mean, falling for Peary was pathetic, but sleeping with her, giving her his sympathy as he called it, the blonde woman shook her head. Dana continued defending their crewmates. How about Avon and Villa? They've known Servalan a lot longer than I have. They understand how her mind works. I agree Avon's been rather unstable lately, but what do you expect? We lost both our home and a friend. And whose fault was that, really? I admit Avon could have dealt with the situation better, and we should have never uh, passed through that cloud, <laughs> Dana conceded. Come on, Dana. Uh, when, he's, when he said, I need to kill her myself, it was a dangerously unstable person speaking. And wasn't it your vendetta anyway? And Villa, he pretends to be stupid in order to survive and can be amusing like a pet. But surely you agree he is irritating and untrustworthy as well. Your precious Tarrant has no time for him whatsoever. By the way, have you forgotten how both Avon and Tarrant were prepared to let you walk into a trap on Caspar? No, I've made my mind up, Dana. You're the only one I want by my side. I've given you more focus, and as a result, you've become a more effective and deadlier opponent. Dorian's guns should help us get the upper hand. He had his uses. She thought back to him begging for, begging her to join in while he was having sex 
with his latest uh, bit of rough trade. She refused each time and uh, found sexual fulfillment with a member of the female Saska tri Seska tribe instead. Or if she just wanted to quickie with one of the primitive hairy, stocky hommocks. She instinctively felt that there was... She instinctively felt something was seriously wrong with her companions. Companion. And it turned out she was right. Sue enforced herself to stop thinking about the past and quickly shifted her attention back to Dana while saying, The others can't be trusted to get the job done. Maybe the loss of both the Liberator and Callie was too much for them. Dana started to think she had a point. She sighed and said, So, how do you suggest we go about this, then? I assume you don't want them dead. Uh, can't we just discuss a plan to get rid of Servland once and for all? Suen, Servalan, Dana never realized how similar the two names were. Suen looked at her coolly. Uh, I told you, Dana. We're going to do it without them. There's no need to kill. Let's put something in their drinks. Uh, drug them? Dana didn't have the same morality as Callie, but she had strong opinions about right and wrong, for example, the futility of war, and it was only when Justin had explained his reasons for experimenting on the animals that she had started to agree with him. Sulin didn't have the same scruples. What happened to her that made her such an ice queen? It fascinated the youngest member of the crew. Avon had hinted at a traumatic experience, but she'd never managed to find out the details. It took a while for Sulin to convince her crewmate, but in the end, Dana agreed with her that they needed to temporarily incapacitate the men. So it was done. Dana handed out glasses of wine to the male crew members containing a very strong sleeping agent. Villa might have said it was powerful enough to knock an asteroid out of orbit. Sulin and Dana set course for Drava. As this is where Orak told them Commissioner Sleer had gone after her exploits on uh, Vern. The supercomputer also informed them all Dravins were female warriors. Having just neutralized the males on their crew, at least for some time, they now ended up on a planet exclusively inhabited by females. How ironic as well that they should have traveled to a world where Avon and Villa's long-lost crewmate, the pilot and space pirate Jenna, was rumored to have been, according to Orak. They landed the ship. Suwin didn't trust Orak to teleport them down. Avon would have programmed him not to cooperate. Dana agreed Orak often hadn't been much help to them. Dana was impressed with Sue Lynn's piloting skills. Tarrant has his uses, the gunslinger said dryly. They left Scorpio and walked towards the only building they could see, hoping to find Servaland there. What does that smell? Dana asked. Like something rotting, Sue Lynn responded. Looking around them, they became aware of all the corpses that were scattered around everywhere. Some of the women had their necks broken, while others had had them slashed. They also found bodies that showed signs of extremely brute force, and the, look, and the look on the women's faces seemed to indicate that they had suffered terribly before their demise. It turned out not everyone was dead on this world. In an instant, Sulin had her gun taken away by an inhabitant of Drava toting a large rifle and wearing an imposing uniform. She cursed herself. In the past, Sulin would have been less able to put up a fight, but she impressed Dana by using the jujitsu she had taught her and soon managed to get not one but both weapons off the local. Dana commented with a smile, uh, I think I might have taught you too well. She intervened and knocked the woman out with one blow. Now that's teamwork, she concluded. Dana's hunting instincts told her something or someone had been watching them during the fight. All of a sudden, a huge shape appeared out of nowhere. It was walking towards Sulin rather slowly but menacingly. After that camp and treacherous creep, Dorian and the murderous bastards who killed my family, I'm not going to be challenged by some monster again, she thought to herself. She unholstered her gun and fired one of the plasma bullets they'd taken from the gun rack on Scorpio. Heck yeah, bringing the gun rack back. The shape was hit by the bolt of energy and crashed to the ground. Was that it? Dana and Sulin had survived this long not to be not to be thorough and hadn't survived this long not to be thorough and suspicious. Dana checked its pulse while Sulin continued aiming a gun at the body. Nothing. Really is a corpse, Dana said with a smirk. We did it. Then in a blink of an eye, one of the shape's hands tightened around Dana's neck with one of his feet 
He kicked Suwon so hard she went flying and landed several meters away on the unforgiving hard ground face first. Suwon, Dana was horrified and worried. However, her expert fighting skills meant she could free herself. This didn't prevent her from being scared, really scared. Dana knocked the shape out with a well-aimed karate chop to the face, although it didn't make her feel very confident. This thing's strength is superhuman. I've never experienced anything like this before. One more second and I'm sure my neck would have been snapped like a twig, Dana uttered. And guns don't seem to have any effect on him. Sulin got up from the ground, blood dripping from the corner of her mouth. Also, how can there be a pulse? I shot it through its heart, she, she said incredulously. Dana went over to Sulin and they moved back to make sure there was plenty of distance between them and the shape. Dana looked at the huge boots, hands shaped like claws and expressionless mask. For a few seconds, Grimiston concluded... We have to resort to drastic measures. I can throw an explosive on that thing and blow it to smithereens. We'll have to be quick. It didn't take him long to recover last time. Dana retrieved a small bomb from the inside of her mouth. Heck yeah, bringing that, <laughs> bring that back too. <laughs> uh, she chucked it in the direction of the shape. They were both horrified to see the human form sit up right in one robotic movement and catch the explosive in one hand. There was a huge explosion. Body parts, blood, and innards went all over the place. They relaxed mm. and looked at each other. In the distance, they noticed some people coming towards them, so they became alert again and drew their guns. A male and female dressed in the same uniform as the woman who'd attacked earlier made a sign that they were unarmed. The two killers from Scorpio decided it wasn't safe to lower their guns. There's no cause for alarm, ladies. My name is Maga, and this is my male servant. I thought we, there weren't supposed to be any men on this planet, Dana said. Oh, he doesn't really exist. He was created. An android? Sulin remembered her experiences with Muller. Muller's cybernetic creation. Maga smiled, something like that, and the creature who attacked you, she looked in the direction of the remains, uh, was, to built, was built in a laboratory. She shook her head. I tried to fit into our society. It tried to fit into our society, but its hideous features and cold demeanor prevented it from being loved by anyone. In the end, it turned into a murderous monster. We should have seen it coming. Well, it's gone now. Suwon didn't trust the Draven leader. Dana was getting impatient and decided to ask about Servalane. Where's Commissioner Sleer? Why do you want to know? Maga, Maga's eyes turned dark. She wasn't welcome here, and I should have eliminated her myself instead of relying on my incompetent clones. She sounded angry. Without warning, Maga, Maga and her sex slave drew their weapons, but Sulin was quicker. She shot them both through the heart. They were killed almost simultaneously. You really are quite the markswoman. So now we know this has all been for nothing, Dana sighed. Let's go back to Scorpio. Avon and the others should come around soon. Sulin remained businesslike. What are we going to tell them? We'll think of something. Dana will probably bump into my archenemy again soon. She does seem to be obsessed with Avon. Dana actually looked forward to hearing the garrulous villa. It would feel familiar. She'd had enough of excitement, at least for a little while. The end. The end. Yeah, so quite yeah. an extensive story yeah. there. I assume I mean, it takes place... Uh, it seems like it takes place it takes series, series, D. series D. It's definitely after post C. Post-animals, at least. Uh, since she meant... Right. Since Dana... Right, right, right. Mentions Justin and the animals. Yeah, and not going to ignore the elephant in the room here. I'm a little skeptical of the sexual content of this story. Um, Blake Seven was never, uh, never necessarily dealt with. You know, stuff well, I mean, that this the, stuff this sexually explicit, but it's Terrence slept with Servalan. This is actually post Sand as well, since it mentions Terrence yeah. sleeping with Servalan. And there was post Gold because there was reference to Avon's line about. Killing her herself. Right. And there was Blake and Inga as well. Right. It's not like Blake yeah. Seven might... ever shied away from it. I'm actually yeah. surprised that Blake Seven didn't deal with it more since that's kind of the gritty theme that I feel like Blake Seven would go for. 
Yeah, I mean, the first episode had the supposed child molestation. So, yeah, maybe maybe just maybe I'm focusing in on it more because it's a written story. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's real interesting how Dana, I can't believe, I wonder why I forgot her name for a second. Dana and Sulin uh, team up and decide to kill so everyone annoying. else. <laughs> or at least drug them. Well, no, 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 look, so they just drug, drug them. them. Sorry. They could have easily taken everybody out, yeah. though. They had the skills to. And I can, yeah, the Frankenstein influence. Is yes, also, there. yeah, for sure. Frankenstein haunting these podcasts as always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could have seen this as a TV episode. Would have given Su Lin something to do, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I think that's the thing is that this gives Su Lin more than really any episode yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Gives her an actual role. Right. Also teaching Dana. Yeah, Dana that's, teaching her. yeah, that's, that's definitely a direction they could have and maybe should have. Maybe, yeah, I, I mean, based on what we got, I should have <laughs> given her the role of like a teacher because I just think it would be pretty fascinating because there hadn't really been, no one had really fallen into that like teacher and student role except like maybe Orak and Gan, but like yeah. that's not even a thing. Mm-hmm. So And that could have been really interesting for Blake Seven to explore. And it was really interesting to explore in the story, I think. Right. Especially with all the mentions of Dana being like young or a teenager or whatever, yet they don't do much with that except she's mm-hmm. a little brash. Except making her romance with Justin really awkward. Yeah. But I mean, her brashness, like other characters are brash as well. Yeah. Avon's brash. Avon's brash. So, yeah. Maybe he's even more brash, you know. Uh, but thanks, Jürgen. Yeah, thank you, Jürgen, for sending in that story. Uh, it's my turn to read now. Right. At Iomamo. 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 Io. M-A-M-O on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> a continuation of the series, definitely not a reboot. The name Blake 7 still applies because this new group is following the lead of slash doing it in tribute to the original gang and Blake himself. Either way, the myth is more important than the man. And or something like Robin of Sherwood where a person is appointed the new Blake. Or perhaps this new revolutionary has the arrogance to name themselves Blake. I don't know. Anything but a reboot anyway. Yeah, total agreement on this. I wouldn't want a reboot of Blake 7. Yeah, I wouldn't want to reboot either. Uh, like Robert Zemeckis, over my dead body. Not <laughs> that I own the rights to Blake 7, but... I like um, this idea of Blake Seven, Blake kind of being a title that's passed from leader to leader. Right. Uh, that's yeah, I a use, unique take on it. I use something similar to this in my story as well. I really like this idea. Um, mm-hmm. And this opens so many more possibilities. Because, I mean, it's not like they had exhausted all possibility with, like, you know, Avon and, and Dana and, right. and Sue and Tarrant, but... Um, and Villa, <laughs> but like opening this up to a new cast of characters and seeing how they perform their exploits differently and, and you know, what they do and how they go about everything, mm-hmm. especially because they're in tribute to the original crew. Right. Would just be so fascinating, especially because they ostensibly don't have a ship as good as the Liberator. They probably mm-hmm. have something more Scorpio-like. Right. I mean, you can even have Avon show up as an old mentor, you know, almost like Luke in Force Awakens showing up. Right. You could have Avon show up and be like, well, this isn't the revolution I knew or something <laughs> like that, just as like an old cranky hermit somewhere. You could even have Avon opposing them. Um, right. Or maybe even Blake opposing them, because I don't know if Avon would necessarily... Because once, yeah. once I feel like once Avon's done, he's done. Yeah. But... I do really like this idea of Blake being sort of a name uh, or a, a title, title right. almost. What if uh, what if it was revealed... I don't know how this would work. You need to do some finagling and possibly some retconning. But what if it was revealed that... Roger Blake was not the first one in this line of Blakes. 
Yeah, you could you could even do a prequel series, just a season where it's like the first Blake <laughs> that establishes Blake as the title. Uh, in the very early days of the Federation, maybe when they're just gaining power and he like foresees their future already and is already trying to take him down. I don't know. Could, uh, the there's fe- a lot you could, you could do with this idea that Blake is a title rather than a name. Yeah, you could turn the Federation into like uh, architect of the Matrix type thing, where they keep instituting these different rebel factions, that, mm-hmm. and that somehow like I don't know fuels their their yeah, power. Maybe the the Blake title is bestowed by the Federation on someone, and almost as like a pawn. Like we know Blake was set up to be this martyr that they then threw in this jail, right? Right. Maybe they've done this multiple times. Yeah, maybe maybe Blake Seven refers to like this is the seventh incarnation of this like ruse. Oh uh, yeah, you could do that as well. There's a lot you could do with that actually. There's <laughs> yeah. a there's a lot of ways you could take that. I I jive with it. Yeah. Oh, we got one more fan submission here. Uh, uh right. This is mine. Mm-hmm. This is from at Tech underscore Paula on Twitter. I always had the idea that after the end of Blake, when only Avon was left, Servalan would step out, Avon and her would smile and walk off together, and that Avon had been working as a double agent all the time. Then he would continue to support the rebels whilst being feder... feder-, 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 feder- it got cut off, but it's supposed to be federation. Mm-hmm. I really like this idea as well. And I know we were kind of discussing this. This could either work with uh, Avon or Tarrant. I think. Yeah, I actually thought this was what was going to happen. I thought Tarrant was going to be the one that was sold out because, I mean, before the final episode, I knew that, that Tarrant was the one who had indicated uh, they had been sold out and then they all died. That's what I knew. And I kind of thought going in that Tarrant was going to be like a Federation spy or something. Also, Servalan Sir- and Tarrant had a bunch of time together on the planet in Sand. Yeah, in Sand. And also like- Tarrant like, really easily sells out his Federation comrades <laughs> when he's first introduced. And you kind of have to wonder, like, maybe he was selling it like too much. Yeah. But the idea that it's Avon... I mean, Avon and Servalan definitely had like a very flirtatious relationship. Yeah, I can totally see D, Avon. And I can totally see it happening. Especially with Avon standing over Blake's body at the end, like, ha yes, it's done, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you you know, we don't see who fires those gunshots at the end, so maybe it's Servalan coming in to wipe out witnesses. Yeah. <clears throat> you know? Yeah, I, I really like this idea as well. Yeah, we got a you lot could, of you could cool even, ideas from yeah. our fans. For with this, you could even do an extend. you could... You could carry on the show with like Series E and, and Avon. It's like Servalan and Avon instead of Servalan and Travis. Yeah, Except that's kind of like the first uh, the first two episodes of my uh, my Series E. Yeah, which kind of sh- like that. All right, so in the week or so since we recorded this finale episode, we got two more. We got two more Fantasy Blake Sevens that we want to put in here. We want to make sure that we get them in because one of them is from Sergeant Drano, one of them is from other correspondent Boz. And so we're going to go ahead and read through them. Give you guys the the skinny, <laughs> the lowdown, <laughs> the lowdown. <laughs> All right, Sergeant Drano, Blake Seven, Series C point five. Hey guys, so if I had maximum power, what might I do in terms of conjuring another season of Blake Seven into existence? Exterior space early into Series C, aka Season Three, not long after power play. The Liberator is being pursued by a massive fleet of pursuit ships closing in from all sides. The only route of escape is to travel through a region of space that Zen has on record as being too dangerous. They override him and fly through anyway. They pass through an anomaly and emerge in the clear. No pursuit ships on the scopes. The crew lick their wounds. The Liberator repairs itself. Once full power is restored, Avon is determined to hit back at the Federation to go on the offensive. He has Orak scanned for the nearest Federation outpost. His plan is to attack and destroy it in order to bait a Federation ship to investigate. 
Ivan hypothesizes that the Liberator has no problem taking on one Federation ship at a time, and so that's what they will do, take on single ships, destroy them individually, hit and fade. The Liberator arrives at the outpost and attacks it, blasting it from orbit. Avon lets them get off a distress signal and then completely destroys them. The Liberator then lies in wait. Eventually, Federation ship shows up. It is a configuration the crew has never seen before, but after scanning, Orak confirms his transponder identifies it as a Federation ship. It's an unusual shape with two elongated nacelles and a disc-shaped section on the front. I really see where this is going. I haven't read this yet, but I see. Hidden behind a moon, the Liberator monitors communications. A Federation officer calling himself Captain Picard identifies his ship as the Enterprise and tries to communicate with the outpost. The Liberator strikes from behind, moving much more quickly than the Federation ship, firing its neutron blasters. The ship appears to have some kind of rudimentary force wall, but the neutron blasters quickly penetrate it, punch straight through the ship, and ultimately destroy it before it can ever get off a shot. The crew's delighted with the result. Avon theorizes that this new ship design must be something the Federation is trying to build their fleet numbers back up with after the massive losses they took during the war with the Andromedans. They decide to press their advantage. They destroy several more outposts using Orak to monitor fleet movements. Orak indicates the Federation's computer network must have been severely compromised in the wars. Orak finds their system much easier to penetrate and influence than previously. Orak discovers that the Federation has amassed a fleet to hunt the Liberator, and the fleet is being personally led by Serverland, who is now calling herself Fleet Admiral Serverland. Orak has found a back door into the enemy ship's computer systems and said it is able to control most aspects of the ships remotely. Avon and the crew decide to take his fleet on with their newfound advantage. They face down the fleet. Admiral Serverland demands a surrender and Orak responds by causing all the Starfleet vessels to turn and collide with one another, causing death on a massive scale. The fleet is destroyed and Admiral Serverland is taken captive. The Liberator then heads towards Earth, ready to strike at the very heart of the Federation. Avon and the crew... Avon and the rest of the crew, sorry, continue to have many more adventures, attacking and destroying the Federation, showing those cruel tyrants no mercy. Specifically, they probably have about 10 more adventures, each one bloodier than the last. Eventually, they encounter an extra super-duper prototype Federation starship commanded by Captain Travis, and Avon and Orak finally realize that they're in a parallel universe. They take the Liberator back through the anomaly to their home universe, leaving a huge swath of destruction behind them. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so you went for a crossover with Star Trek in the middle there? Where the Liberator just basically becomes these bloody criminals killing people, which is kind of what they were supposed to be, sort of, on the show. Yeah, and, you know, the uh, the alternate universe idea, I think, is really cool. This is an opportunity, actually, I think, in a good way to include the Daleks in Blake 7. Yeah. Have them cross over into the, the Dalek-verse. Yeah. And then you or don't the necessarily need to... Uh, this isn't the right word, but maybe, maybe this is what Chris Boucher would have used, like, taint Blake 7 with... With, with the Doctor Daleks. Who, right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think they could work really well. And then maybe the presence of the Daleks is how they go, well, we're in a different universe. Yeah. We better get back to our own. Then you could have a Doctor Who story on the other side of the crossover where the Daleks are like, we're going to invade every universe <laughs> now, not just our own. And the Doctor's like, well, I'm not going to let you do that. Or something like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe like the TARDIS... Maybe they materialize in space and they view the Liberator from far off and, like, you know, they never knew that they were there or whatever. Well, better leave now. <laughs> yep. So that was uh, from Sergeant Trano. Yep. We have this Thanks. other one from Boz. All right. So this one's from Boz. Uh, I thought I'd chuck my two pence worth into your Fantasy B7 collection. Hope I'm not too late. You're not. You're not. <laughs> you got in just in the nick of time. <laughs> Part 1, Fantasy Season E, version uh, A, 40 years later. Fulfilling Avon's last command before his death on Gauter Prime and working from a hidden location, the supercomputer ORAC has been manipulating computer systems all over the Federation over the years and has finally completed the construction of a new Liberator at a secret location. All it needs uh, is a crew. 
from the point from this point there are several ways we could go in order to cry the new liberator I think it's supposed to say crew in order yeah, to crew yeah, the new liberator probably supposed to say crew in order to, in order to crew the new liberator I'm quite fond of the idea that Orak has selected a group he believes will be best suited to fight the Federation. Orak hasn't been quite perfect in his selection, and we get conflicts between the crew similar to before. Over the course of the season, we would see the crew making their way to the Liberator, recovering Orak from Gata Prime, and then taking the fight to a now very powerful Federation, partly funded thanks to Servaland's victory in gold. Nice. Uh, I have a synopsis of a season E continuation, but I've misplaced my work. Uh, It had everyone surviving from GP, except Dana, who was shot with a different weapon to everyone else. They were stunned and captured and had to escape and take the fight back to the Federation. And had Orak construct a new Liberator, similar to the 40-year-later version. Uh, And we had a new crew member. Can't remember what I had now. Uh, Part 2. Paul Darrow slash Chris Boucher fantasy casting. We have Blake as John Wayne, Avon, Clint Eastwood, Jenna, Doris Day. Villa, Gary Cooper, Callie, Catherine Ross, Gan, Lauren Green, Servaland, Jane Russell, Travis, Lee Van Cleef. Uh, part 3, Reboot. Uh, I have a host of notes I've made over the years regarding what I would do with a reboot. Too much to go into on such short notice. One thing I did have was that Callie uh, has seven clones, one of which would be the agent who betrays Blake at the start, Dev Tarrant in the original. Lots more and. Uh, ad- Administration intrigue, Yan turns into what he should have been, a brutal killer with a limiter to stop it. Jenna more Han Solo-like, and Callie a, a kick-ass combat machine. Yeah, so yeah. interesting ideas there. You went yeah. for all three the kind of ideas that people went through for a reboot, Fantasy Costing, or Series E. Yeah. Uh, your synopsis of Season E sounds <laughs> kind of like mine, uh, although my, in mine, Dana survives. Uh, I... Uh, I kind of like the idea of Orak picking a new crew, you know, because he's supposed to be Orak Oracle, you know. Yeah, Orak Seven. Just <laughs> picking <laughs> picking a new crew to to continue on the legacy. Yeah, but I also like the idea that he completely just like mucks Bubbles it up, up. and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> picks like the worst people for the job, <laughs> or the people who like work who are, are good into who. Maybe here's the thing. Maybe he picks people who. Or like he picks like the best bounty hunter and the best pilot or whatever, and when all these people are brought together, they like, they're the can't best work individually, together. but yeah. as a team, they're just like complete exactly <laughs> nonsense. Yep. <laughs> I see you labeled your fantasy costume the Paul Dara Chris Boucher one because it's Western themed. Yeah. <laughs> like Lee Van Cleef as Travis. <laughs> I like John Wayne as Blake. <laughs> we'll be honest. And Clint Eastwood as Avon. I don't know a don't lot know, of these I, other ones. Doors Day, I do recognize. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know any of them except John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and, and Lee Van Cleef. I don't know. I feel like I, th- I think John Wayne as Blake and, and Clint Eastwood as Avon works, but I also could see that the other way around easily. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Easily both ways. Especially given maybe the they season could, four. Maybe Avon. they could use that. Yeah, maybe they could use that in some way to have them play off of each other yeah. like that. And then your reboot sounds kind of cool. Callie has seven clones. Yeah, that's really interesting because when Callie was introduced, um, her her trustworthiness was suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so having her appear, you know, her, her physical appearance match um, the person who sold them out in, in episode one mm-hmm. would only enhance that. Right. And not only that, their whole like race is, is based around cloning. Right, right. right. So who's to say there aren't more Callies running around somewhere out there? <laughs> 
right? And I mean, Callie's sister looks exactly like her, which is, you know, I, I was suspicious of that in the episode, but now that you've reminded me, Boz, that they had cloning facilities there, I'm realizing that it actually yeah, maybe Callie and who are clones. Makes more sense now. Doesn't explain why Del Tarrant looks exactly the same as Dita, <laughs> but, you know, at least for Callie, we have an explanation here. But thank you for, yeah, thank you for all of those, actually. Yeah. Yep. Uh, really liked all your ideas there, which I think is what we said about everyone. Everybody came up with these really cool ideas. Yeah. We should get into to ours now because we, mm-hmm. we're done with all our submissions. Yeah, so that's all our submissions. So big thank you to everyone who sent yeah, in. thanks a bunch. We got a, a lot, and we really appreciate it, and I really yeah, enjoyed it. this was really fun. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed reading through everybody and listening to everybody's Fantasy yeah. Blade 7. And huge shout-out to RG for, for suggesting this in the first place. Yeah, huge shout-out. Thank you, RG, for suggesting it. All right, so we should get into ours. Uh, who wants to go first here? Well, I just read uh, yeah. you know, the last submission, so... Go on, you go ahead. All right, so like I said, I entered a Terry Nation fugue state. <laughs> Originally, I wasn't going to get this detailed with this, and I'm not going to read every single word on here. I want to try skim through it so that we're uh, not you, sitting here for so long. I mean, you can. We read we read uh, Jurgen's verbatim, and we played the we read yeah. all of them verbatim. All right. I mean, I didn't really edit it much, so some of it I might on the fly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Correct. Sure. So anyway. Uh, mine's like a series E, so post Blake and okay. So basically, the overarching plot of the season series E is uh, of iconography and faith, uh, dealing with how Blake, the Liberator, Avon, and the rest of the crew are seen to the common population and living in the Federation. So I introduce a Federation civil war uh, instigated by the capture of Avon's crew and the death of Blake uh, by Arlen. So Arlen's unparalleled success, where Serverland has failed, has led her to be seen as sort of a quote folk hero unquote and allows her to amass great power within the Federation. That leads to a civil war between her and Serverland to become president. Each leader has her own faction, and they constantly engage in fights throughout the galaxy. Uh, this allows us to analyze the iconography be- behind the term president. Serverland always claims to be president, but was never elected, and typically rules as a dictator. Arlen, on the other hand, is bolstered by public support and gathers her power more in popularity. Between the seasons, the Scorpio crew have been separated and held in separate facilities to mitigate the risk of them breaking out. Uh, Blake's death leads to him becoming a martyr to the remaining resistance, uh, and because of this, Arlen attempts to prevent this from happening by imprisoning the rest of the crew rather than killing them. Uh, so that's what happens between the seasons. Uh, so the first episode is entitled it's "Pretty Rebel. In Depth" already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some expert dialogue to um, to introduce all of that, but it could work. I can see it working. I mean, yeah. All right, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm not going to try and nitpick yours. I don't, I don't know how well it would work in theory. I mean, like, I, I, I didn't write scripts, so that's the thing. Is like, it would take some pretty masterful dialogue to yeah. pull off. But uh, So the first episode is Rebel. Uh, it oh, opens on a time skip. Uh, based on an uh, indeterminate planet under attack, uh, the first person we see is Servalan. She's yelling orders at Federation troopers, and we eventually find out that she's the one under attack. Uh, she's looking for something on the base referred to as the Jewel of the Rebellion. Uh, she finds a cryostasis pod. She opens it to reveal Avon. Uh, he says some witty things about Serverland being the one to rescue him, <laughs> how he expected someone else. When the base rocks with an explosion, uh, she explains that she needs his help while they escape onto the snowy planet. This is kind of where we get some of that setup dialogue for the, the Civil War. Because uh, now we see Arlen. She looks frustrated that Serverland gets away. She sets coordinates from her personal space shuttle uh, to the planet. And then it ends with Serverland and Avon flying away with a nail-biting escape from Arlen. Episode 2 is called Surveillance. 
Servalan and uh, Avon make their way to an outer world colony where Villa was dumped alone to survive. The idea being Villa being incredibly intelligent, she left them on a planet with no resources to survive. All that matters. Turns out Avon is less than willing to cooperate without some backup. Servalan offers Villa as compensation. We all know Villa was just playing the fool who's been able to survive on his own without any technology or trusty booze at his side. <laughs> He's monitored from orbit by an orbiting array of Federation satellites, the idea being here that Arlen recognized Villa's technical prowess and lockpicking skills and figured the best way to keep him locked up was to put him somewhere with absolutely no technology. Serverland shuts down the satellites for a moment, giving Avon time to make his way to Villa. The second Federation, meaning Arlen's Federation, attacks. Serverland flees, and Avon and Villa are left stranded without help on this planet. Episode 3 is entitled Pilot. Arlen arrives at the decrepit outer world planet where, planet where Avon and Villa have been stranded. Villa chastises Avon for his piss-poor attempt at a rescue, <laughs> and the two bicker for a bit before reconciling and agreeing that life would be easier if they worked together. Avon's cagey about how he escaped and offers few to no details. With the observation satellites back online, Arlen's discovered the duo on the planet and makes her way there personally. She intends to kill them, believing that the remoteness of the planet and the cover-up of their escape will lead many to believe them still locked up. She arrives, revealing that Tarrant is now her personal pilot. Avon and Villa steal the ship with Tarrant's help, but not before learning that he's had a computer microchip installed in his brain that ties him and forces him to be loyal to, a- uh, to Arlen. Avon disables it, making an offhand remark about Gans Limiter, and Villa breaks them into the ship where they make off with it, rechristening its survival. Whew. Episode 4, Gladiator. Villa and Tarrant are initially reluctant to follow Avon after the events of Blake. He monologues about how the Federation Civil War is the best time for them to end the Federation once and for all, and Tarrant rebuffs him that he never cared so much before. Avon counters by complaining that now that Blake is dead, he just wants to live in a galaxy where nobody wants to kill him. He just wants to retire to a backwater pleasure planet and never be bothered again, and until both Arlen and Servalan are dead, he can't do that. Tarrant says that they may be able to bolster their numbers if they rescue Sulin, who Tarrant had learned was being held in a gladiatorial arena where she's been forced to fight with hand weapons only. The idea being here that she's really good with, you know, guns, so... Arlen forces her to fight with hand weapons. Phil is able to sneak into the facility, Sulin's opponent... Uh, and Avon and Tarrant disrupt the proceedings from outside. Sulin has gained a new mastery over hand-to-hand combat, having been forced to fight with her tr- without her trusty pistol. This gives her a more distinct purpose from day in at this season. Con- uh, episode 5, Control. Tarrant to- continues to prove his usefulness in this episode, first by explaining where Dana's being held. Arlen plans to turn her hatred of Servland into a weapon and has her contained in the galaxy's largest and most advanced psychology facility. Tarrant is able to use both his visual presence as well as the survival still active security codes to land, and Sulin is able to bluff away past the guards by pretending to be Arlen. While the group is there, the base is attacked by Servalance Federation, mistakenly believing survival to still be Arlen's personal shuttle and believing Sulin to be Arlen. Dana and Sulin pair off to try and escape while Avon takes Villa on a personal side mission. Tarrant keeps the crew appraised on the ship. Without a computer, Tarrant is more vital to the actual day-to-day function of the group. Avon and Villa <laughs> eventually find what they're looking for, Gan's body. Servalan arrives and once she realizes that she's actively Whoa. attacking Avon's crew, calls <laughs> off the attack. The two have the usual witty banter where she says something like, I prefer to keep my debts alive before marching out. Back at the ship, Avon explains that the... Uh, sorry, Avon explains that Arlen has been using Gans Limited to try and build a more powerful neural control circuit, uh, like the one that was put in Tarrant, which she hopes to distribute to Federation personnel in lieu of the usual psycho conditioning. We get some interesting ideas here where we wonder if Arlen is all that different from Servalan. Episode 6, Soothsayer. Avon and the crew return to Gauda Prime and by extension to the scene of Blake's death in order to learn more about Arlen and her plans. Instead of finding a decrepit hellhole of villainy after the Federation <laughs> ravaged the planet and transporting Avon and co off, they find a near-technological utopia run by an enigmatic soothsayer. Or is it? Avon and Dana think that this is a ruse set up by either Arlen and Servaland to lure them in, and they cautiously volunteer to go into the city. 
Uh, Villa, meanwhile, stays behind at the ship. Tarrant and Sulin get sent to look for vital computer circuitry. He isn't, uh, Avon isn't able to build a teleporter, but may be able to build personal communicators. Avon and Dana make their way deep into the city, unnerved by the constant and yet surprisingly false hospita- hospitality on display by the locals. Suspecting something to be a mock, Alvin, Avon tries to break into the Senate chambers, only to be apprehended while doing so. Dana meets up with Tarrant and Sulin, breaking Avon out and accidentally forcing themselves into a nondescript building nearby to reveal the soothsayer's true identity, Orak. He indicates that he predicted their arrival with 96.7% certainty and was able to map all their movements as far as Avon's capture. Their erratic behavior in freeing him, given his prior actions, referring to Blake, confused him and he remained surprised at the reaction. Avon tells Oryk to shut up and they make, up, <laughs> and they make off with him, an angry town following him. Throughout the episode, we see hints that this quote utopia unquote is more dictatorship and many of the denizens make small but obvious references to being unhappy with the planned natures of their lives. So Lynn talks about how this was... Uh, what her parents always dreamed about the plant, uh, Gauda Prime being, and if we're really ambitious, we can meet Sulin's per- uh, parents in this episode. Gemini, this episode were seven. They killed? Yeah, I think they were, but. They're back now. They're back. Well, brought back Gan's body, yeah. so. I, this next episode <laughs> brings back something else from series uh, A, I think. In the big mid-season episode, Servland calls to collect on the debt Avon owes her for breaking him out. Dana's furious to learn that Avon is working for Servland, and he simply replies that he doesn't like to leave debts unpaid. The group squabbles before Avon bluntly states that they're looking for Blake. The ship drops to silence before Villa finally tells Avon that he's mad, considering he shot him in the stomach. Avon tacitly reminds Villa that there was another, although the two of them refuse to explain any more. Villa reluctantly gives Tarrant to set a coordinates in the ship's head for whatever the hell the planet that the clone Blake and Michelle ended up on at the end of Weapon. <laughs> Avon has to stay on the ship, dropping off the rest of the crew since he was marked by Imapak back in Weapon, which is still in the clone Blake's possession. The planet is barren and empty, empty although the team is able to find a recently worked farm. Sulin finds a dead body and Villa is able to crack open a nearly impenetrable door to an underground vault. This Blake has become a recluse, has reversed engineered Imapak, and has filled an underground vault with his creations. The body upstairs is revealed to be Rochelle, whose death pushed Blake to this point. Avon contacts the group, telling them that there's two different sets of Federation cruisers approaching the planet that they need to get out of there as soon as possible. He lands a ship. Dana kills the clone Blake as he's heading towards the ship, refusing to give in to Servland's demand, but drags the body aboard as they take off. Avon and Dana have a fight, which is quickly interrupted by a battle between the two federations and Servalane contacting survival. Avon tells Servalane that Clone Blake is dead, but neglects to mention that it was Dana who killed him. She tells him that their dead is broken, that they are enemies of both federations once more. Orak is able to predict she movements ahead of time, and Tarrant redeems himself when he's able to use the confusion to escape. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I have a note here. It was about here where I realized I had made the same mistake Terry Nation did, uh, and I wasn't even writing full scripts. Uh, episode 8, Stranded. While on the run, Avon and Co. respond to a distress beacon and encounter a fellow group of rebels. Sulin becomes the face of the group as Avon, Tanville, and Dana are too well-known. And the crew unanimously agrees that revealing their survival and obvious escape from the Federation's grasp will prove unwise. The story is set entirely in space, and Sulin talks with the rebel crew while Avon, Tanville, and Dana set about trying to surreptitiously repair the rebel quick- ship as quickly as possible so they can leave. The stakes are raised where it's revealed that the rebels are less rebels and more mercenaries who have recognized our ship and intend to turn it in for a large bounty. Uh, three quarters of the way, Avon slips up, revealing himself, leading to a frantic race back to survival as they try to escape from the ruthless mercenaries and pilots who were never really broken down to begin with. Uh, it's supposed to be a lighter, less heavy episode. Also, it'd be different structure for most Blake 7 episodes, trying to do, quote, stealth episode. Uh, episode 9, Heist. Literally a heist episode. Orak takes the group to a banking planet. It's basically gold, but better. Not much to say, because I wrote this one last, and the rest <laughs> of this is massively long. This is a filler episode for the season. <laughs> 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 Gotta have at least one filler episode. All right, this is the final three episodes. This is when shit gets real. Uh, <laughs> Resurrection. 
While on the run from the Federation, the group stumbles upon the planet where Avon was hailed as the race's savior, as seen in the episode Deliverance. Avon insists they leave again without explaining, but Dana tells them that she's sick of his shit and that this looks like a safe planet to stay on and by God they're staying. Sulin goes along with it and Tarrant doesn't really care that much. He puts the ship down on the planet and the crew exit onto a radioactive wasteland. Avon is immediately recognized as their savior from Deliverance and this is seen as his quote, second coming, unquote. Avon takes it in stride and begins to lead the civilization somewhat reluctantly for the next couple of days. He starts to settle in, seeing this as his opportunity to prove himself more capable than both Arlen and Servland as a leader. He eventually becomes so inundated with power he collapses at his post. Orak looks over him and discerns that he's had a stress-induced stroke. He lapses into a coma and the rest of the gang has to gather parts from around the city before Avon dies and they're able to construct a rudimentary stasis chamber to keep him alive. Orak is able to... Uh, heal him enough for them to escape the incoming revolution led by anti-Avon parties within the government. Uh, episode 10, Fear. With Avon out of commission, Orak directs the team to a planet deep in Servland's territory where she's been experimenting with a new form of psychotherapy. Orak has a theory that with simple modifications, they may be able to use the form to reconstruct missing portions of Avon's mind and get him out of his coma. Dana eagerly accepts, seeing it as a potential opportunity to take out Servland personally. The facility is filled with hallucinogenic gas that progressively degrades your mental fortitude, showing you increasingly fearful things before reaching your final fear. Newly Im- Dana is newly immune to the conditioning due to her time in custody, and Taren's computer chip makes him immune as well. And the two head into the facility to search for the technology required to modify Avon's stasis pod. Uh, this is the so-called Dana episode as she takes charge. While on the base, they discover a method for breaking Servland's psychic conditioning, which Tarrant takes with them in addition to the required parts. Villa puts everything together and Avon wakes up, understandably upset, but more determined than ever to put this to an end. Uh, episode 12, Limit. Avon uses Orak to find out where Arlen has been putting it together her neural inhibitors. They're able to find out they're put together on a desert planet orbiting a binary star system. The dry atmosphere keeps the tech dry and free of particulates. Avon insists on going down with the group, even though he's been rather incapacitated the few past few adventures. Avon and Sulin enter the facility disguised as technicians. Dana stays with the ship and Tant and Villa get captured. Sulin launches a rescue attempt and in traditional Blake 7 fashion everything goes horribly wrong. She gets to use a newfound hand-to-hand combat to take out some guards and Villa is able to unlock herself on the inside. Tant's computer chip reactivates and he turns on the crew. We have a Blake moment where Avon has Tant at gunpoint. They drop the guns simultaneously. Avon giving up and Tant finally breaking through the mental conditioning of the computer chip in his brain. Arlen eventually enters and Sulin engages her in combat to buy her friend's time to escape. They fight to a draw and Sulin escapes. Villa says off detonation charges they planted when they first land and the group makes off. Then the big final episode, episode 13, Crusade. Both Arlen and Serverland's factions seek to take Earth for their side to reestablish the Federation, assuring their future as the Supreme Commander. Orak doodly informs the crew of this fact, and Avon rushes to Earth to take advantage of the ensuing battle for his own purposes. Arriving on Earth amidst a planet-wide battle, the crew makes their way to Federation HQ. Along the way, Villa dispatches Avon's break in Arlen's computer chip while Dana and Sulin disseminate the anti-gas, disrupting Servland's mental conditioning and thus stopping the infighting entirely because both groups no longer follow their leaders. Avon reveals to the group that he had Orak downloaded the blueprints of the H crew and discovered a nuclear missile housed just below the building in a secret silo that he believes he can rewire. He and Tarrant make their way there while Villa and Co. look for Servland and Arlen. Avon breaks away from the crew having a sidebar with Dana where he refuses to let her go in to face Servland, telling her that he's been dying ever since his breakdown and resurrection. He has nothing left to live for, making the bleak reference to the loss of his, quote, best friend, unquote, i.e. Blake. The episode finally comes to a climax in the president's chambers, where Servalan and Arlen are squaring off when Avon enters. The three look at each other and size each other up before Avon gives an impassioned plea to his crew to leave over the closed-circuit t- television. Servalan and Arlen do not seem phased at this, but Tant takes charge and gets the crew out. The episode ends with Avon detonating the nuclear warhead, taking himself, Servalan, and Arlen out, and ending the Federation for good. Dana bemoans not being able to kill Servalan himself, but Villa raises a toast for his old friend, and the ship sails off into the metaphorical sunset. Whoa. 
Yeah, you know, not going to lie, I didn't expect that to sound as good as it sounded. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> like I said, Terry, no- Terry Nation feud state. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, a lot of those episodes sound really entertaining. Yeah, there were two filler and, episodes in the middle where you could tell I ran out of ideas. Um, I mean, I don't know. I like how a lot of them take, like, stuff that wasn't properly, not properly, but stuff that we weren't satisfied with on Blake 7, like Sulin and her gunslinging abilities and and uh, Avon dis- Avon's descent into madness for no apparent reason or for maybe many different reasons and kind of reconciles them and does other things with them. Brings back a lot of things like Gan's body. <laughs> Gan's body and the clone Blake. And, and also back Avon to deliverance. being hailed as a savior. Yeah, so I liked all that. Thrown back to Series A. Bring it all back together. Anyway, yeah, so that's uh, my Series Z. Yeah, like I said, mine's just a footnote. Mine's basically just an outline of an idea, a premise compared to that. It's also a lot well, more rough. It's all yours. This is pretty rough. This is the first draft. All right, so here's mine. Sequel series that's not necessarily called Blake 7. The main character is a Federation soldier who became increasingly becomes increasingly disillusioned with the Federation before the start of the series. Um, and then this goes into, I guess, what would be episode one. Mm-hmm. He participates in taking out a burgeoning rebel group like the one we see in The Way Back. But a mysterious incident occurs, and the MC is the only one left alive. Um, and the, the idea here is that it's not clear what happens on screen. Maybe we get a trippy dream sequence like we got in, in The Way Back. Um, when he comes to, there was a psychic, question mark, voice inside of his head that calls itself Blake. With uncertain memories about the circumstances that led everyone to die and left him alive, the main character learns from the voice that he is also a Blake. And that, the, and that he must locate and join forces with the other five Blakes if he wants to defeat the Federation. Far below the surface of the planet lies an ancient ship called Mirage that is far older and more advanced than any Federation ship. The main character sets out on a journey across the galaxy to find the other Blakes and hopefully be at least a minor thorn in the Federation side until he can one day overthrow it for good. Um, and some other ideas I have is that... Uh, uh, did I write this down? The Blake voice is in his head is also... It, it it's the voice of the it's not necessarily like Zen where it is the computer but it, it serves as the voice of the computer of the mm-hmm. ship which I guess doesn't necessarily have one otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, ships also equipped with teleport of technology, course. obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I have a few other ideas as to where this would go, and you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll write it one day. Sounds pretty interesting, yeah. like Blake Seven referring to the Seven Blakes, yeah, rather than to the. His Blake seven plus or minus one people who follow Blake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it. You'd have to, yeah, I like it. We should have ended on yours because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I went a little overboard now that I think about it. No, I mean I think a lot of what you wrote down was was could potentially be better than what the show offered us. <laughs> I mean, so, with a skilled writer writing the scripts, sure. I mean, as it stands, it's just a Terry Nation idea right now. But I like yours. No, I like the idea that Blake, I mean, it kind of goes back to that Blake being a title thing, right? Right. With, you have these seven Blakes across the universe. I guess it'd be interesting to hear if the voice that main character hears in his head, if the other Blakes also hear that voice in their head, or if like it's just him. Like if there's one right, super well, Blake leading all the the six other Blakes to each other, or yeah, no, I mean I didn't necess- I didn't write this down, um, but the idea I had was that you know they would and they'd come together and, and uh, you know this incident. I don't even necessarily know what this is yet, but this is what triggered the reawakening of this psychic ability mm-hmm. that 
ties them together via this voice called Blake, which I don't know what the voice would would be. Uh, maybe again, maybe one day I'll write it. Maybe it'll be Gareth Thomas's Blake. <laughs> yeah, he can be the Super Blake. <laughs> yeah. Also, Serverland would be one of the the Blakes. Hmm, that's an interesting twist, yep. actually. Interesting. Yeah, I like it. I think that actually brings us to the end of this uh, <laughs> this podcast, this podcast, and this episode, and and uh, yeah, and just all of this, and just, this, just, just this, <laughs> this blanks seven stuff. Um, but again, we should just reiterate: if we somehow missed yours, if you sent us one and we didn't read it in this episode, just mm-hmm. email us, and it'll appear on our website. Right. Yeah. Send us an email. And we'll we'll put it up on the website. So make sure we get to it. Uh, we believe we got to everybody's. And thank you, everybody, for participating in the podcast just by listening, whether that be by, by listening or emailing us or reaching out and, and getting in contact with us. Right. Uh, we greatly appreciate it, and it, it definitely made this podcast a lot more fun. Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really sad moment. <laughs> it's not that sad. Yeah. A week from now, you'll be like, damn, <laughs> Miss Blake 7. Well... I guess for the final time on Zenith, if you would like to reach us, you can reach us at thedoctordecutivevegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Blake 7. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith, a Blake 7 podcast. I almost said trust your doctor. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show, and thank you very much for listening. Yeah, uh, for sure. Continue to check us out on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. And uh, check us out also on Twitter at TYD Podcast. And follow us on Twitter. Yeah. I'll still probably be posting Blake 7 related material on Twitter at least. Yeah, and if we <laughs> announce a new podcast, it's going to be announced there first, probably. Right. Whether that be uh, Space 1999 or Star Cops or Lex or one of the myriad of other shows that have been suggested to us. I guess you'll just have to wait and find out. Or just that general one we've been alluding to (laughs) slash have basically come out outright and done everything except specifically said that we would do it. But, you know, we'll we'll be doing something in the future. We don't necessarily know what that is yet, but, you know, something. We'll see. Uh, But until then, the end.